Hi, everyone. Before we begin the show, we sadly have to do another in memoriam for a veteran of the anime industry that passed away recently, a veteran voice actress who marked life several iconic characters, several iconic Osama Tezuka characters in particular. Yoshiko Ota passed away on October 29th due to a heart failure at the age of 89. She was a career actress. She was in theater even before being a voice actress. And she performed so many roles over her time, including Akko in Himitsu Akko-chan, Sapphire and Princess Nai Leo in Kimba the White Lion, even Baby Panda and Baby Tiger in Panda Go Panda, and was the first Nobita in the 1973 Doraemon, amongst a bunch of other really iconic roles and really iconic characters that she gave life to through her performance. And it's very sad to lose another veteran voice actor like her, especially one that has had such a integral role in being the voice of so many people's childhoods who grew up on these series. And we just wanted to pay our respects to her and thank her for the work that she has done, the characters that she's portrayed over the years, and wish her rest in peace and send our love out to all her loved ones, friends, and family. This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast, episode 184. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lon Romayasha, and today we've got another big news roundup for all the things announced in November. We got new manga licenses, we got a bunch of anime news, courtesy of Netflix in particular. We have a lot to talk about, and perhaps we're going to start off with some of the biggest stuff. It's that time of the year again for us to talk about the Oricon Top Selling Manga of the Year list. So it's a lot of exciting stuff to talk about on this news roundup. Oh yes, a lot of news, like always. A lot of big news, as uh, Lum just mentioned. But um, real quick before we get into any of the news, small like Patreon updates a little bit, and... uh, I'm really excited about this. So uh, in case you haven't been following us on social media or Patreon, we recently just uploaded the very last episode of our Manga Mavericks book club read-through of Saint Seiya, the original Saint Seiya manga from Masami Kurumada. We have successfully covered all 28 volumes. I have now read all of Saint Seiya. It was very good. I very much enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, it was... It was quite the journey, and I'm really glad we did it. Big thank you to my good friend, Doctor, from the Ask Backwards Anime Podcasting Network. For without him, I don't think I would have as much fun covering Saint Seiya. It was it was nice to have someone just as blind as I was, you know, going through the whole series. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really excited that that's all finished, and that uh, we kind of have our first like real complete mini series that uh, people can listen to. So uh, basically, if you want to listen to our entire read through, all 14 episodes. Uh, that's available on our Patreon at the $5 tier at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. 
And, uh, you know, we, we, we have so much more than just that. We have so many other, like, different bonus podcasts people can listen to as well. Uh, some coming up that I'm also very excited for that I'm in the midst of editing as we speak. Uh, not really during the pod, you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, just wanted to put that out there in case, you know, anyone who, listening, you know, might have seen that we were reading Saint Seiya and uh, just just wanted to know that we were done. And m- maybe you're like me and you like uh, sometimes waiting for a thing to be complete when you get into it, because th- I-, I know a lot of people like that. So uh, if you want to listen to it, it's all available. And, uh, you know, if you listen to the end of that read through, you'll get a sneak peek of uh, what we got coming up that... Uh, I'm not I'm not going to say here I'd rather keep it a surprise until it's out but just just so that everybody knows the book club is not finished we have a bunch of other things that like I am very excited to like read through on the Patreon mostly series that like you know we've covered on the show but maybe I wasn't able to like join the discussion for you know that that kind of stuff so yeah just get, get excited cuz I have a lot of cool stuff coming up uh, for the Patreon in particular so again patreon.com Slash Manga Mavericks if you want to listen to that. It was fun to listen along to it. Definitely check it out if you're, say, a newbie or if you're a fan who want to listen to some newbies experience the madness of Saint Seiya for the first time. <laughs> for sure, for sure. It's Saint Seiya sometimes is definitely, um, definitely feels like a fever dream, but like the best kind. It, it was very fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just a small like Patreon update there. But uh, for now, I think it is time to get into news and we have a lot of list news like lum mentioned we're going to be going some uh some oricon stuff later uh but for now uh we have to go through the latest new york times best-selling graphic books and manga list for the month of november and i think we're going to start at the bottom here um just to get out of the way we have five manga titles on this list the first of which ranking at number 15 at the bottom of the list is spy family volume six uh nice to see spy family on this list every once in a while uh Next up, at number nine on the list, uh, we have Demon Slayer Volume 1, which if I double-checked correctly, last month's list, it was at number 11, so it kind of moved up a little bit, which is pretty cool. Demon Slayer Volume 1 used to, uh, seems to usually be around, like, uh, this sort of portion of the list, kind of at the bottom 10 here. Next up, at number eight, we have Jujutsu Kaisen Volume 12. Jujutsu Kaisen, also going very strong, which is cool to see. Kind of going up a little further on the list, uh, kind of in the top three here. At number three, we have Attack on Titan Volume 34, which I believe is the last volume of Attack on Titan. So that that, that makes sense. It would be a very high up on the list. I'm sure a lot of people were looking forward to the end of that series. And uh, last but not least, at number two, we have Chainsaw Man Volume 7. Chainsaw Man ranking all the way up at number two. Uh, the, the only thing that could compete with Dog Man, apparently. Really give it a run for its money. And yeah, Chainsaw Man, I've probably said it a million times at this point, but I'm really genuinely surprised how well it's doing without an anime. Like, I can't even, I can't imagine how much better it's going to do when that anime finally drops. The same holds true for Spy Family. Both have done exceptionally well without anime to so far support them, and I can only imagine Explosion when those anime do indeed come out. But yeah, it's cool to see them do so well, and it's cool to see a third of the New York Times list this month be occupied by manga. Of course, all the very big titles you'd expect, the very big shonen series, but it is good to see manga continue to dominate more than one list. It's now is seeping in and taking over more of the New York Times list as it has dominated the book scan for the past 
year or couple of years. Basically, yeah. But uh, I think we could just move on to the book scan list, uh, the book scan list for October 2021 in particular. And uh, the last few lists we've covered on the show, usually it's like 90% manga. Uh, Usually there's one straggler title in there that isn't technically manga. Uh, This time it's just all manga. Just oops, oops, all manga. 100%, all 20 (laughs) of the top spots. Just just no, nothing else on this list, which is quite amazing. And yeah, I guess we might as well just start at the top of the list here. Uh, we mentioned it before on the New York Times list, but at number one on this book scan list is Chainsaw Man Volume 7, uh, which again, Chainsaw Man, uh, like I said, I don't know if it could do much better than this. It's it's really exceeding my expectations personally. And then next up, we have Attack on Titan Volume 34 at number two, with Volume 1 ranking at number 14. Again, last volume of Attack on Titan. Sure, a lot of people were looking forward to that. Uh, next up, we have Jujutsu Kaisen Volume 12 at number 3, with Volume 7 ranking all the way down at number 20. Uh, Jujutsu Kaisen, I think, um, probably said it also, but like, I'm very interested in how it's going to do when we eventually get more anime of it. I guess when that new movie comes out, it'll be interesting to see how how even higher it can rank on this list. You know, mm-hmm. and then uh, I'm pretty sure this is the title with the most like individual volumes on this list with Demon Slayer, where we have uh, volume one ranking at number four, volume two ranking at number six, volume 23 at number 11, volume four at number 15 and volume three at number 16. So Demon Slayer doing doing pretty well, um, really giving uh, My Hero Academia a run for its money in terms of who can have the most spots on this list. Yeah, Demon Slayer occupies the fourth of the spots on this list, so very strong performance. In contrast, MHA only has two volumes, so big month for Demon Slayer. For sure. I can only imagine, you know, the fervor around Season 2, even though they are just kind of recapping Mugen Train right now. I'm I'm sure, like, still has gotten people very excited and very interested in Demon Slayer again, you know. But yeah, speaking of My Hero Academia, we have Volume 29, at number five, with volume 12 at number 12, serendipitously, <laughs> and uh, volume two at number 19. So My Hero Academia, not not as many spots on this list as usual, but still obviously doing very well. It's uh, it, it's it's not the one dominating the list anymore, which is which is kind of nice to see. Uh, next up, we have Wotakoi volume five at number seven. Wotakoi is, again, another very popular title that usually has at least one spot on this list. Definitely need to get back on reading that soon. I really enjoyed what I watched of the anime, so it's a good series. You should check it out. Mm-hmm. It's great to see titles on the list that also are just the big shonen action titles. It's good to see uh, more like adult-oriented romance series on the list. Mm-hmm. Next up, we have Spy Family, Volume 6 at number 8. Spy Family, like we mentioned before, does very well without an anime. Very interested in seeing how even better it could do uh, when the anime eventually drops. But uh, after that, we have uh, One Punch Man, Volume 23 at number 9. One Punch Man, another usual contender on this list. Not much else to say there. Next up, we have Hanako-kun, Volume 10 at number 10. Uh, with volume one at number 13. Uh, interestingly enough, I think this article on ICB2 mentions that this marks the year anniversary of Hanako-kun being consistently on this list, which is really interesting. Yeah, it's continued to be a strong seller for Yen Press year round. It's one of their biggest, it's not, it is their biggest title probably right now in terms of sales. So it's really cool to see. It's cool to see Yen have a big hit competitive with the other big shonen hits from Viz and some of the other publishers. And yeah, I'm glad that the popularity and the fandom has sustained for it. And it makes me hopeful that 
seeing this continued and sustained popularity, there will also be more anime produced with it. But even if not, nonetheless, it's just cool to see that even like long after the anime has concluded, like sales of the manga continue to be strong. And there still seems to be a lot of attention, a lot more people flocking to check out Hanakaka. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, we have Kami Can't Communicate, Volume 15, at number 15. A lot of really great number placements on this list, by the way. Um, and yeah, Kami, another one of those titles that's usually on the list at least like every other month, I would say. But yeah, it does very good. I am kind of interested in seeing, um, you know, the, the longer that the anime you know, stays on Netflix, I'm kind of wondering if that'll lead to maybe a a bit of a boost in sales eventually. I can't imagine that won't happen at least once. And then last but not least, we have Berserk, the Deluxe Edition Volume 1 at number 18. Again, Berserk is always on this list for for a good reason. It's a very good manga and a lot of people love it. So, Uh, and yeah, that's basically the list. And yeah, I personally enjoy how like, again, it's still a lot of big shonen titles, but I I still do think there's like a good variety in this list. Uh, But yeah. Yeah, at the very least, it's not all these media shonen jump titles. We do have some stuff from Kadachi there. We have some stuff that are, you know, Slice of Life, Romance Series, and Wotakoi and Komi. So we're seeing a little more variety. And nonetheless, though, it's cool that the entire top list is manga. This month, it continues to show the strength of the market. It continues to show that there are like a lot of different types of series doing well, even if like Shonen Action continues to be the dominant and most popular genre that's doing well. Mm -hmm. I'm very much looking forward to seeing uh, what the next book scan list is going to look like. Uh, but for now, I think we should uh, get on to the big one with the Oricon yearly sales ranking for uh, for the year of 2021. And uh, yeah, uh, a lot to talk about with this list. So I think we'll just start from the bottom, go to the top. At number 10, we have Haikyuu uh, coming in with 4.3 million copies sold, which uh, I just kind of looking at the 2020 list. It was a little higher last year, but I mean, I again, Haikyuu was still running for the first half of last year. It had just ended last year. It's yeah. in, quite impressive that it still ranks among the top 10 highest selling manga of the year over a year and a half after it has ended. And with no anime either. Yeah. There hasn't been a new anime season since uh, the last one ended last fall. So it's just continued to sustain in popularity, even post the ending. In fact, uh, it had a sales growth probably after the ending, like a lot of people wanting to check out how the series ended. And that's continued into this year. So it's done quite well. Mm-hmm. We'll get to it in a bit, but that is not the only series on this list that has done very well post the ending of its manga. But we'll get to those. And a much different scale, too. Yes. Uh... Next up, we have Kingdom, uh, very, very low on the list, more than normal, but still does very well with 4.6 million copies sold. But I mean, Kingdom's basically an institution at this point in Japan. It's always going to do well. It's always going to be among the heavy hitters. Um, but I really wish this was still like legally available somewhere because I would really love to read Kingdom at some point. It's an interestingly sharp decline from its 2020 sales. It's Basically, half of the 2020 sales were, was over 8 million. However, yeah, I mean, Kingdom's still doing quite well for itself. I'm curious of what contributed to this, like, sharper thing that was maybe not as many volumes came out or something. Or last year, probably, there were other, like, big promotional pushes for it. Regardless, yeah, Kingdom, you know, consistently has been one of the biggest series 
in Japan that we unfortunately have not yet gotten over here. And with its length, it remains a skeptical possibility that we will. But I guess never say never. We will see one of these days uh, if Kingdom does ever cross over. I would like to see it. I I was a fan of the... Live action movie. I would love to read the original series in a legal capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, we have Spy Family coming in with four point nine million copies sold. A little higher on the list than it was. It sold a bit more than last year. It seems again does very good without an anime. Yeah, it it's about consistent with last year's sales. Just a few hundred thousand copies more. Yeah, so Bi Family continues to be a very strong seller. It is going to be interesting to see how an anime might influence sales to grow even more. But, you know, it's already a big hit. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. Out of all the, like, Jump Plus stuff uh, that's running right now, I was kind of expecting to see maybe Kaiju number 8 kind of inch its way somewhere near the top 10. But I, I guess we don't uh, we don't know where its placement is on, on the list, you know, outside of the top 10, but still. Yeah, Nadia, that's something to investigate. But I'm sure Kaiju number eight is continuing to grow its audience, and I wouldn't be surprised if we will see it perhaps next year, perhaps around a time an inevitable anime gets announced for it. Like, what a series of its popularity is sure to acquire one at some point. So I would say Kaiju number eight is probably doing very well, and uh, we could see it as one of the top ten sellers one of these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, we have Chainsaw Man with 5.2 million copies sold. I want to say it was a little higher on the list halfway through the year. Um, but it, again, it still does very well post its ending, as we mentioned before. Yeah, Chainsaw Man is another one that has grown a lot after it has ended. A lot of people really started to check it out after the series had concluded because it wasn't on the top 10 last year. So it's pretty quite remarkable that Chainsaw Man is ranking so high and did so well in sales, like even though the manga literally ended a year ago. Of course, like the final volume came out earlier this year, so it had new volumes during this sales period but still it's a series that has grown after its ending and through word of mouth and its reputation which is quite impressive Mm -hmm. now this might be a bold and or safe prediction depending on who you are but i don't know with 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 the way things are going i i think when that anime drops eventually as far as like uh i guess sales for uh for next year for 2022 by the end of that year I'm going to say Chainsaw Man is going to land in the top three somewhere. I, I think I think the sales will be that huge for it. I can see it happening. It's possible. I wouldn't count it out. Uh, and then let's see here. So uh, next up, the next series, that has, it's a bit of a point of a contention for some of its fans, as I've seen on Twitter, uh, with One Piece uh, selling at just a little over 7 million copies. Uh, One Piece, I, I feel like as other series, you know, start to gain more traction and, you know, do more numbers, uh, its placement on the list starts to go lower and lower. And I see a lot of people who are like, oh, man, One Piece isn't in the top three anymore. It's irrelevant now. And I'm like, guys, come on. <laughs> I mean, it's still among the top 10 high selling manga. Other factors consider is that there's like one less One Piece volume that comes out nowadays because of Oda's breaks than in years past. And if you look at like sales numbers, it's a little fairly consistent with last year. Like, I mean, it's a little bit less, a couple hundred thousand copies less, but it also did up just over 7 million copies last year as well. So it's mm-hmm. consistent in popularity, I would say. It's just that nowadays there are 
other series that are becoming even more popular. So it's not that One Piece has suffered any less in popularity. It's just that there are other series that are just doing even better. Which is a cool thing. It's a good thing for the industry that the champion of sales, the highest selling manga of all time, now has other rivals that are, you know, also doing extremely well and are series that a lot of people are really excited about and encouraging the growth of the industry in terms of sales. So, you know, I don't think, I think it's a neutral thing looking at sales. Like, I don't think One Piece is, One Piece is obviously not doing bad in sales and it's kind of not really worth worrying about the fact that it's not the highest selling manga of the year anymore oh man one piece isn't taking over all of manga sales oh man what what it, 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 clearly it's not doing very good <laughs> <laughs> boy but uh one series that i am surprised that is I, I feel like is really competing with it is more or less even is uh my hero academia coming in also, with just a little over 7 million copies sold, which is really cool. I'm really glad to see My Hero Academia doing so well. Yeah, this is My Hero Academia's best sales year that it's had. It continues a trend from the past few years of it like growing in sales numbers year over year by about a million. This is a big year for My Hero, both for in-story stuff and outside story stuff, like big things like the World Heroes Mission movie, uh, the fifth season and other stuff like that so that probably all encouraged the sales growth and yeah my hero academy is doing very very strong Mm -hmm, for sure you love to see it next up we have attack on titan coming in with 7.3 million copies sold a much higher on the list than it was last year obviously it's uh, it's selling a bit better you know due to the anime airing and also it coming to an end again attack on titan another series doing very well past its manga ending yeah i'm sure the ending encouraged like a lot of people to buy the volumes to check out the end so yeah continuing to do very well attack on titan was always like a big seller all throughout its run and i'm sure it'll have one last gaps at the very least next year when the final season airs and concludes and i'm sure we'll get another big sales jump then probably yeah um that's not the only kodansha title to do super well on this list though because we have tokyo revengers coming with 24.9 million copies sold so just over three times the sales that attack on titan did which is pretty cool. Yeah, Tokyo Revengers really exploded in popularity this year. Like, it started out with a circulation of only around 3 million, and now in this year alone, it has sold, like, 20, nearly 25 million copies. So it's quite impressive. Like, the anime helped it. I'm sure, like, story events, the news that it is coming to a close. It has, It's in its final arc-ish. So it's, I'm sure that probably encouraged people to want to check it out. Yeah, it's selling quite well, and it's very cool to see, like, a title beyond, like, the Shueisha Shonen Jump stuff, you know, also sell, like, extremely well, like, by a magnitude over other sales figures in the top 10 from other series. So, yeah, it's quite an impressive jump, and I'm curious to see if uh, that'll continue going into 2022. For sure. Next up, we have uh, the, the the king of last year's manga sales, Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba, coming in with 29.5 million copies sold. And yeah, I mean, what else can you say? Demon Slayer uh, did very well this year. 
uh, despite the anime not coming back until, like, just recently, uh, which is also really cool. It R- really shows you the staying power that Demon Slayer has still right now. Yeah, I mean, Demon Slayer ended over here in half ago, and then the final volume did come out, like, right at the beginning of the 2021 sales period. But, I mean, this just shows the strength of the series that it continues to sell like this well long after it is ended and without any other like big promotional things until just recently so yeah demon slayer has really cemented itself like it is like among the top 10 highest selling manga of all time right now and it's uh, just continuing to do well and i'm sure with like even more anime to come in the future like more promotional things for it to come in the future i wouldn't be surprised if it continues to sustain its like sales figures even if like it no longer will continue to dominate us in number one. We'll see it slide, but I think it'll continue to be an evergreen seller just because, like, it seems like people can't get enough of it, especially in Japan. Like, people continue to buy more and more copies of it. So it's quite popular. It's quite successful to a it's really impressive degree. I mean, it would have been the number one highest selling manga again for a third year in a row, if not for the actual number one winner this year, just eking it out by a million or so copies. Yeah, and that title being Jujutsu Kaisen coming in with 30.9 million copies sold. And uh, I'm really, I'm really proud for, proud of Jujutsu Kaisen. Uh Especially since it was a series that when we first talked about it on the show, when it was first starting to run, I I genuinely didn't think it was going to last. But here I am. <laughs> I'm now wrong again. I was wrong about Demon Slayer and I was wrong about Jujutsu Kaisen. <laughs> and I was right about both of them. And believing in both of them. And yeah, it's really rewarding to see Jujutsu Kaisen be so successful, like... It is had an incredible growth, and these are incredible figures. I can only imagine how the series may continue to grow with, like, the movie coming out, the inevitable season two, all of these things that I'm sure will continue to skyrocket Jujutsu Kaisen in the same way Demon Slayer did. Like, this is really impressive for it. And um, since it's, like, one of my favorite series currently running a jump, like, I'm glad to see it's doing so well. Oh my god, yeah. Um, this just this just makes me sad that I haven't started Jujutsu Kaisen yet, and I know I need to at some point. Uh, I'm at, I've at least watched the first season of the anime. I've liked what I've watched. I definitely want to get back to it at some point because it, it is very good, mm-hmm. and I, I can't wait for that movie coming out. Uh, if that gets a theatrical release, I am I, I think I might try and go see that. It feel, feels like I shouldn't miss out on that. I think it surely will. That does it for the. Top selling manga list. We will also touch upon the top selling light novels list of 2021. Before we do that, I will mention that as far as top selling manga volumes go, to no one's surprise, it was Demon Slayer's final volume that had over 5 million copies sold, and that was more than double of the number two highest selling book of the year. So, Demon Slayer, even though it only came number two this year, the final volume was by a magnitude the highest selling single manga volume of the year. And that also trolled through for light novels, or Demon Slayer's light novels. I mean, well, 
let's not give the game away. Let's go from 10 to up. And so a number 10 as far as the highest link like that let's go is Osana Nanjimi Gazetai ni Makanai Love Comedy that had nearly 250,000 copies sold. Then at number 9 we had the Jujutsu Kaisen light novel Soaring Summer and Returning Autumn that had about 260,000 copies sold. And then at number 8 we had the novelization of the Demon Slayer Mugen Train movie. The novelization of the movie got <laughs> 287,000 copies sold. Next, we have Sword Art Online that had over 305,000 copies sold. At number six, we had Classroom of the Elite second year, the sequel series Classroom of the Elite that had 306,000 copies sold. Detective is Already Dead came in at number five that had 367,000 copies sold. Then at number four, we have Re Zero with 424,000 copies sold. And the Apothecary Diaries came in at number three with nearly 500,000 copies sold, 496,000 copies sold. And then that time I got reading Carnated as a Slime came in at number two with nearly 600,000 copies, 597,000 copies sold. And yeah, at number one, once again, with a significant gap between two and one were the Demon Slayer novels. Those were the high selling light novels of the year. With 776,000 copies sold. So Demon Slayer dominating not just the manga charts, but also the light novel charts once again. With not just the novel, the light novels, but also the novelization of the movie ranking among the top 10. I feel like that's cheating to have two places for Demon Slayer, even though I know they're both like separate titles and everything. It's just yeah, like... <laughs> I know a lot of people were kind of annoyed that they are counted separately so that another light novel series wouldn't get acknowledged it's among the top 10 highest sellers but yeah i mean demon slayers light novels and traduce the light novels like you know these franchise like novels are doing quite well but yeah other series that did well this year aren't too surprising there were strong sellers previously or up and covers that we've taken note of i think that with how well apothecary diaries is doing we really should see an anime adaptation for it out soon so it's something to look out for but overall not too surprising the sales figures of this year i think i think these are all the titles that you'd expect to see if you were thinking of what are the most popular light novel titles out right now yeah no no real like shakeups or anything uh for, for anyone curious i just did the math and if you combine both demon slayer novels and the uh, mugen train novelization demon slayer novels would easily have broken over a million copies sold yeah so there's that but uh yeah uh, a lot of interesting things to go over with the oricon stuff and yeah i'm i'm just really interested in seeing what next year should look like absolutely like it was uh, it's been cool now it's no longer an expectation that one piece will be the highest selling series of the year now other series have been kind of rivaling and eclipsing in terms of sales figures uh in the year so it's gonna be a real contest to see what will be the number one of 2022 there's no guarantees there could be a dark horse new series that d- explodes and does really well Jujutsu Kaisen and Tokyo Revengers could sustain and compete for that spot Demon Slayer could surprise with another like boost in popularity and retake it you know it's it's really gonna be really interesting to see what series do really well and claim that top spot next year I mean for all we know One Piece could have another resurgence and get it again so a lot to watch out for yeah, there are a lot of different factors for each individual series going into next year that that could really guarantee any one of them like the top spot next year, I think. Absolutely. But I think with all of our list stuff out of the way, we should go into serialization news. Indeed. 
And starting off, of course, is that time where we have to lament that some recent Jump series have been cancelled. And those series are Red Hood and Nehru. Both ended in November, both with their 18 chapters. Both had about as good an ending as you could hope for, I suppose, with how cut short they were. I think Red Hood did something more interesting in how they ended in For terms sure, of yeah. like going in a big meta direction and whatnot. And Nehru had like kind of a thematic ending and like you know, one of those flash forward time skip endings to show, hey, everyone, you know, grew and did well and stuff like that. So it was, uh, they were fine endings. They, they were both series that had potential and were going into that potential as they were going on. But alas, you know, they didn't reach there and attract the interest of readers quite quickly enough. And they didn't have the support of Jump Editorial to want to give them that extra push uh, like other series. So alas, they didn't make it, but they'll certainly be, I think Red Hood at least will be remembered for the interesting directions it took and because it did have uh, quite a bit of popularity over here. We were told by someone who would know that Red Hood was like among the most popular series when it was running. It was like uh, in the top 10 at the very least, around number 7. So, you know, it was doing well with like readers on Wiz, but... Alas, that didn't translate to popularity in Japan. No, not unfortunately. I mean, uh, out of the two, I was definitely more interested in keeping up with Red Hood. Nehru was the kind of thing I just didn't really enjoy reading weekly, but I would like to like go back and revisit it eventually. Obviously, when we hopefully do like an episode on it in the future at some point. But um, yeah, Red, Red Hood was interesting. Um, you know, for anyone who remembers when we first talked about it, I really, you know, d- despite some of the criticisms we had at the beginning and how we felt about the writing, like I still really enjoyed it, and I really thought like, oh man, this could be like a real breakout hit. And then obviously that didn't happen. Um, I think I'm more disappointed in Red Hood because like I think it started off so strong and then. You know, it spent way too much time on that cops and robber stuff to the point where, like, my interest started to wane a little bit. Yeah, I kind of feel opposite in that I didn't think the beginning was as engaging to me, but I actually really liked the, like, training arc, the exam arc. I actually liked the cops and robbers thing and how, like, we got introduced to all these interesting new secondary characters and they all work together to, like, outwit, you know, stronger opponents in Grimm and Debonair. And, uh, you know, I thought that had potential in, like, developing the secondary characters and showing, like, kind of a, a sense of crime teamwork between these characters that could have been fleshed out even further the series continued so that's was where the series was really picking my interest up and then like you know i appreciated the meta direction but it became it came very suddenly and i didn't really fully explore the idea in a really interesting way i think or like not to like a really thoughtful place like it kind of brought an idea up but then it kind of copped out with like a journey is just continuing type ending you know yeah so I think that metal section of the exam arc is was the highlight of the series for me. But uh, alas, like it clearly, the author clearly had ideas, uh, interesting ideas of where you wanted to take the series that I would have liked to see be, have been explored, but it just did not catch on it fast enough for readers. I think the cops and robber stuff is the kind of thing I would have just enjoyed, um, you know, re- reading like in chunks. Like I, I think it kind of lost me weekly, which. I wouldn't be surprised if there were other people that felt that way. And the, the the ending stuff definitely felt like the kind of thing that, like, 
if there were more build up to it, I I think it would have been even better. Well, there are definitely seeds uh, and build up to it, but then a lot of things just happen suddenly. You know, like oh, suddenly the the giant wolf guy is gone, and you know that just has to be explained away. You know, we just have to remove obstacles, and we just got to rush to the place where we need to be for the climax. And of course, like we can't have like a big resolution with the mayor being revealed as the big bad. You know, we just kind of have to rush through that fighting conflict and just have like, oh no, we're gonna create a you know. Even if, like, the the world, you know, has all this suffering stuff, you know, we're, I still believe in creating a better world. And, you know, so we're not going to end everything. We're not going to buy into your nihilism and stuff like that. So it's like, okay, I mean, I you, this concept of the book and this concept of, like, this idea of everything being a story created by someone else that is meant to appease readers who are, like, hungry for, like, blood and conflict or not is interesting, but then you couldn't fully explore that had to go with an ending where it's like the world is like as it was before and then you the characters still haven't resolved the main problem the werewolves but now they have like hope and optimism or whatever that you know their journey is just starting and they will reach it into it one day mm-hmm. well uh my, my takeaway from this is i, I hope kawaguchi comes back to jump soon because I, I i think they have the potential to come up with something really really big and something really special yeah they have interesting ideas and they have a very distinctive style. So I would like to see them have a success. I would say the same for Nair's Archer. Like, I think they have a really great art style. Uh, I yeah, think yeah. their action art is very good. So they just need to find the right story that will pique the interest of readers and uh, help them show off their strengths in terms of the action ideas they're interested in. For sure. Um, obviously, a bunch of new series have started up in Jump since these have ended, which we will talk about on a future Pub episode. So just stay, stay tuned for that. Yeah, that'll be down the pipe. There's definitely like a, a lot of talks we'll have, I'm sure, like especially with the new series from the Creative Hell's Paradise. And the other oh, yeah. ones are interesting, too. But that does it before mentioning that but there are other series that are coming to an end this includes interviews with the monster and girls that's going to be ending with its 11th volume which will be shipping out in fall 2022 the series has been running for a very healthy seven years um, eight by the time the final volumes out so i've enjoyed the series i read the first couple volumes i like it a lot so i'm definitely keen to catch back up with it and check out the ending and see uh how it all and wraps up for all these characters and their attempts to like kind of integrate and fit in despite like kind of their monster gold quirks Next, another series that's coming to an end pretty imminently and also has been running for about as long is Dead to Demons, Dead to Destruction. That'll be ending in about 10-ish chapters. It'll be ending within this year, uh, according to Ineosana's Twitter post. And this is another series that I kept up with when it like first started, unofficially, of course. And then you know, I kind of fell off on it, but then I started picking back up the releases when Wiz licensed it. And yeah, this is a very interesting, a little more softer Asana work than his other series, which I appreciate. So yeah, I am curious and excited to see it and it'll end with its 12th volume i think so yeah i'm curious to pick up the final volume when it comes out probably next year and yeah another one that's uh, been running for a while that's coming in soon but there are new series that are going to be debuting soon and that includes the long-awaited new manga from hiromu arakawa yomi nusagai that'll be debuting on december 10th in square enix monthly shonen gangan 
We have kind of mentioned the premise before, but it's going to center on a boy who lives in a remote found village who hunts birds, one with nature, but one day his twin sister is called to serve in the jail at the heart of the village. And her duty also forces her to be confined there. And in the process of that, like, Yuri becomes suspicious and slowly starts to unravel a unnatural hidden mystery between and beneath his quiet village. And the title visual is interesting. It shows the protagonist and a character who maybe his sister may just be like kind of some other ally of his, like in standing in like a yin yang circle. So yeah, I'm curious to see, like, it seems Arakawa is going to delve back into more of a supernatural charged action type story. So looking forward to seeing how this work comes out. And yeah, hopefully would love to see this simulpunct, even if it's not. I would uh, just hope that there would be a fast turnaround for us to receive it officially in English. Yeah, I think with Square Enix doing their own stuff now, I wonder if they would look in just doing the Simul Pub on their own. Yeah, I would like to see that. But yeah, we will see how they handle it. I think there's a lot of money on the table and a lot of like eyes you could get on the series if you gave it a Simul Pub. I think a lot of people would be into it. I think so. I mean, Arkawa is very beloved for Fullmetal Alchemist. And uh, at least for a good subsection for Silver Spoon, you know. Yeah, yeah. We, I love it. Her most for Silver Spoon. So yeah, you know, I would love to see that her new series get simuled. But there are also other new manga coming, or rather new installments of manga coming, and that is Po Clan by Moto Hagyo. It's getting a new series to that'll be debuting in twenty twenty two. Coming fresh off of the end of the last Po Clan series, Po Clan Secret Guard, which just ended earlier this month in November. So yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the next installment of the Poe Clan. And especially now that the original series will finally be completed in English when the second Omnibus volume comes out next year. I know they are still interested in doing the sequel series and I hope to see them continue to come out because I want to continue to read the entirety of the Poe Clan saga and of course more of Hakio's work in general because she is truly a great master of crap and Poe Clan is a really great series. Now we have a lot of interesting one-shots that are coming out from uh, various creators. First is uh, to tie in with the new Stone Ocean anime, Kimono Jihin's mangaka Shoyamoto is doing a one-shot spinoff of Stone Ocean called Fujiko's Bizarre Wisdom White Skate Calculation. And that's going to come out in the January issue of Ultra Jump on December 18th. Not super sure, like, what the full extent of the premise, I mean... With White Stake in the title, we have to assume that the main antagonist of Part 6 uh, is going to be involved and it's going to be a scheme of his to get spoiled somehow. Jolene's in the promo visual, so she's probably going to be in its end involved. And then I guess a character called Fujiko, who I don't recall this character from the series, so this might be an original character for this one shot, is also going to be involved. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what this will turn out to be, and I don't know if we'd ever, like, get this officially translated, but I would like to see it, because I like uh, Jolene in Aimoto style. I think she looks pretty nice and cool, so, yeah, I'd like to, to see what this is about. 
There are a lot of interesting new one-shots coming up from uh, create established creators, including Hiroki Samura. They are drawing a special one-shot called Yuri and Samura in the next issue of Kanan's Afternoon Magazine, which will be out on December 25th. We had an opening color page and everything, and this is going to focus on Samura's relationship with former Afternoon editor Koichi Yuri when he was a rookie. And yeah, it's interesting because, you know, Yuri was uh, an editor for Afternoon and Samura's editor from 95 to 2002, a person who has been credited for making Afternoon what it is today. So it's cool to see Samara like draw a tribute for him. And I wonder if this will get collected in like a, a volume of Way Listen to Me in the future or something. This is also something that's interesting in terms of a manga history standpoint that uh, I would like to read. And then speaking of manga history pieces that I would love to read, Gona Guy is drawing a kind of retrospective one-shot piece about his trip to San Diego Comic-Con alongside Osama Tezuka back in 1980. It's going to be called Goju Travel, Tezuka Sensei, uh, America Journey. It already have come out by the time you're listening to this in Big Comic. And yeah, I mean, this is a like very kind of famous event. Like this is Nagai and Desuka coming to America for Comic-Con long before, like, they were super well-known or popular in the U.S., long before, like, manga fandom was as big as it is today. So it's it's a cool, like, look back in uh, an interesting point in time for, like, uh, international manga fandom and, like, these mangaka kind of visiting the States for cons. So I would love to read his anecdote of those experiences. And, you know, again, something else I'm not sure will be officially translated, but I would love to read it again from a history standpoint, especially since he's like reflecting on his own experience, like coming to America with Tesca. That's really cool. And uh, we also have some news about like kind of uh, some restructuring in regards to Monthly Young Magazine. Essentially, it's going to be combining with Yan Maga's web website. Several manga from the magazine are moving to the website. And coinciding with that, uh, Ghost in the Shell, the human algorithm, is ended its first part, and the second part will continue on the Yan Manga uh, web and Comic Days websites, just as a digital series. And of course, uh, Ghost in Shell, the human algorithm, has been simul-published on Crunchyroll, for about as since it started, so I think this won't interfere or affect that simul pub, but yeah, like it's moving from uh, being released in the print of Monthly Young Magazine to digital serialization, and uh, the entire lineup of uh, Monthly Young Magazine are moving to Yanmaga Web, and this includes, as far as notable titles goes, Ten Dance. So, yeah, if you are interested in a lot of Monthly Young Magazine series, they're going to be continued digitally from now on, it seems, on Yamaga Web. So, something to keep an eye on, for sure. That basically does it for serialization news. And we have some licensing news. And to continue on the subject of Kadansha, Manga Planet has added a bunch of Kadansha manga to their service. Over 1,200 volumes, uh, over 150 titles. So if you want to read a bunch of Kadansha stuff on the Manga Planet site and service, like now they're there, like Kadansha titles are available pretty much everywhere. Like their strategy is like to, I guess, distribute it on a bunch of different platforms. So all the titles that are available on Manga Planet are similar to titles you'll find on Aski or Mangamo and stuff like that. But it's cool, depending on what service you prefer, to have all those titles at fingertips and very accessible. And uh, there's a lot of them, for sure. So definitely check all that out. 
I'd be surprised if Kodansha doesn't just end up putting basically all their catalog on like every manga subscription service we have at the moment. Yeah, I mean, that's their strategy, it seems. Speaking of manga services, uh, Yuri Hub, a Yuri manga specific server, is now starting to offer English translated manga, specifically by authors Ayu Inui and Nanamaniku. And they have like two paid subscriptions to check out Inui's manga works, and there are a lot of works from Inui available on the service, including Room for Honeys, I'm Sorry I Know, Good Morning, Sweetie, Honey Latte Girl, Tender Romance, Street for Care, Pages of Eternity, Sunday 1pm, and She Falls in Love, so a lot of English translated Yuri to check out on Yuri Hub. And also Inui's series Teiji ni Agareta is also available on Manga Planet for another little connection there, so a lot of uh, English translated versions of her work are now available to check out. So that's pretty cool. It was cool to see more like new Yuri available English translated. Next, I think, is a title you wanted to mention in particular before we head into our licensing list. Yeah, I just thought this was really interesting in particular because, um, so let's, let's, let's give a little background on this. So, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure we cut, we reported on this when this came out, but, uh, back in 2019, Kodansha basically, uh, did like a free preview simulpub of the first chapter of, uh, Boots Leg, uh, from Suzuhito Yasuda, who is the creator of Yosakura Quartet, and they specifically did it as a preview, and basically they were like, hey, you should look out for any updates that are gonna be coming for the series or whatever, like, well, it was kind of up in the air whether they were gonna do, like, a full simulpub of the series, and, uh, just recently, I wanna say a month or, a month or two ago at this point, um, I saw this retweeted on my timeline on Twitter, I believe from Suzuhito Yasuda's personal Twitter, that uh, the English version of Bootsleg will be available this January, confirmed by them themselves that this is coming. So I'm not sure if, I guess well, basically what I'm wondering is like, you know, uh, why, it, assuming this is still coming through Kodansha, which I'm sure is probably the case, I'm really interested in like, why this took so long to like come out in English. Like we we don't know if this is gonna be like a continuation of that simulpub or if this is gonna come out in like just maybe digital only English volumes or we're not really sure like what the state of this release is gonna be, but apparently it is coming out in English in January and that's kind of all we know at this point. So yeah, I I don't know. I feel like there has to be a story as to why this took so long to get out, or maybe I'm just overthinking it. I don't know. It's just kind of interesting to think about. I just I just thought it was an interesting update to a thing that we definitely mentioned on the podcast a couple years ago at this point. So apparently it's coming. Yeah, no, it is very interesting why there's been such a delay for this release that was announced like two-ish years ago. But yeah, I guess we will just wait and see. I guess if it ends up being a simul pub, may- maybe we'll maybe we'll talk about it in our upcoming simul pubs episode. We'll we'll have to see like what comes of this eventually. Mm-hmm. But that does it for kind of like some stray licensing announcements we want to talk about. Before talking about like kind of the big licenses that were announced from various publishers, there were certainly a lot of them from various publishers, especially with Anime NYC happening. We had a lot of industry panels that you'll hear us talk more about during the Anime NYC Con Report podcast that will come out 
soon. So we'll go into more detail there about some other titles licensed and other titles that interested, you know, Wee Lord and Mary and Sakaki and stuff. For now, though, we will talk about just some of the licenses that Colton and I found particularly interesting in we have each compiled our own list of 10 or so titles that we wanted to highlight. So Colton, do you want to go first? Should I go first? Um... I think I had you go first last time, so I, I can just go ahead and go first if, if that's okay. Sure. Uh, all right. But yeah, just to start off with my list, I think I'm going to start off with uh, some 7C stuff that has been announced. And uh, uh, the first thing I'm going to talk about is Irina, the Vampire Cosmonaut Light Novels from Keisuke Makino and Kare. Uh, that'll be coming out physically from 7Cs on August 2022 uh, with an early digital release in which in an alternate version of the 1960s, two global superpowers have emerged after a savage war, the Sumitra Union and the United Kingdom of Arnak. East and West are locked in a fierce race to send the first crewed flight into outer space, leading the Union to develop a secret agenda, the Nosferatu Project, which aims to use vampires as a space flight test subjects. Uh, similar to humans, but feared and reviled, vampires are assumed to make the perfect guinea pigs, quote-unquote, for such a dangerous task. Uh, Lev Leps, a Union soldier and aspiring cosmonaut, is tasked with overseeing vampire Irina Luminesque, a.k.a. N44, who has been chosen for their operation, and he can't quite detach his feelings from the vampire girl as planned. Uh, faced with pressure and peril, will either of them manage to fly into the cosmos? And, uh... <laughs> I'm not going to lie, this was one of those things where, like, halfway through reading the synopsis, it kind of hooked me, because it's like, okay, this sounds kind of interesting, Uh, alternate history kind of thing. Oh, sending vampires into space, okay, now you have my attention. (laughs) I don't know, that that just just sounded like an interesting hook, and... uh, yeah, I don't know. I would, I would definitely, I would definitely at least read like the first volume of this to see to see how it pans out. Uh, next up from Seven Seas, I want to talk about "I'm a Terminal Cancer Patient, But I'm Fine" uh, from Hilnama. That'll be coming from Seven Seas this May 2022, in which at 38 years old, Hilnama, a manga artist, is diagnosed with colon cancer. Never one to lose hope or give in to despair, she begins cancer treatments despite the deadly diagnosis. But when going through such a grueling process, it can be difficult to keep a positive outlook. Uh, when faced with the struggles of trials in life, uh, Hilnama turns to what she knows, and that is writing and creating manga, drawing herself as a rabbit in a world of humans and hospitals. Uh, this poignant and down-to-earth account of diagnosis treatment and living with terminal disease will be a reference for positivity and perseverance for years to come. And, uh, yeah, in general, I think I've gotten more and more interested in, like, more biographical, autobiographical manga. And this, in general, sounds like, you know, despite what Hilnama is going through, unfortunately, you know, it. I like this idea of taking something so dark and grim and kind of like uh, tr- trying to make something kind of positive, maybe for people who are also kind of going through a similar diagnosis. I I don't know. I just I, 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 re- I really like what this particular title is going for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a hopeful story about like persevering through like hardship. And per- like, yeah, I think that's very compelling and something that I'm very much like looking forward to reading, even if like the subject matter is like very personal and very difficult. 
Uh, next up is one that uh, I think our good friend Allison uh, told us about over on our Discord, that uh, apparently Stonebot Studios is going to be coming out with an English release of the Common Rider Kuga manga. I should say the one specifically that started up in 2014. Uh, for those who aren't in the Common Rider, Common Rider Kuga is essentially like the first of the Heisei series that came out, I think around... 2000, basically the beginning of the millennia. And I remember watching Kamen Rider Kuga, I think over 10 years ago at this point, before it was ever picked up by Shout Factory for streaming. And uh, personally, I haven't seen it in a while, but I do remember really loving Kamen Rider Kuga. In general, I uh, I don't talk about it a lot, but I do like my fair share of tokusatsu, and I do especially love Kamen Rider. And yeah, I'm, I'm just really happy to see that like, not not only are we getting the original Common Rider manga from Shotaro Ishinomori soon from Seven Seas, that uh, apparently there is interest in picking up more Common Rider manga. Uh, this just it's just really cool to see, and I really hope that Common Rider in particular, just as a franchise, can get to the point where like most of its installments, either Tokusatsu show or manga, are out. Kind of like what we're seeing with uh, Ultraman in particular. I know that franchise is mostly pretty readily available at this point, thanks to those pretty uh, affordable sets coming from Mill Creek, I believe. But um, yeah, this this was a big surprise in particular. I was not expecting to uh, see a release for this. And from the little I've seen of it, I think on Stonebot Studios uh, website, you can see some like preview pages of the manga. And uh, I think it looks pretty cool. And yeah, I can't wait to check this out. I'm definitely going to see if I can get at least the first volume of this. But I think with that, uh, there were actually a few titles from Jane Novel Club I was kind of interested in. And uh, I, I think this first one has an anime that I'm pretty sure I've seen around. But uh, the next title I'm going to talk about is When Supernatural Battles Became Commonplace from Kota Nozomi with illustrations by Zero Twenty Nine. I believe the first volume of this is available on J Novel Club right now, in which uh, Ando Jurai is a second-year high schooler with the mind of an eighth-grade edgelord. Uh, his self-indulgent fantasies and over-the-top antics make him a constant pain in the neck for his friends in the literary club, until, that is, they all suddenly awaken to spectacular supernatural powers. Their godlike abilities include stopping time, manipulating the elements, creating matter from nothing, subverting the very laws of reality, and producing black fire that doesn't burn. Uh, some superpowers are more godlike than others. Ando's read enough comics to know what comes next. It's only a matter of time before they'll be dragged into life or death battles with the fate of the world at stake. Uh, the world, however, disagrees. Uh, there are no villains, no battles, no earth-shattering disasters, nothing whatsoever. Half a year later, the literary club finds themselves confronting a new question. What do you do with supernatural powers when your day-to-day -day life is as commonplace as ever? And uh, again, this was a title I had kind of seen around, but I didn't like actually know what it was about. But uh, I mean, I guess the title's kind of self-explanatory. I do, I do like the idea of these kids getting ready for like a big adventure with their superpowers, and it just, it just doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like the ultimate Chunibyo series. In fact, <laughs> it was a series that kind of even popularized that term when it was first baked in the circles. And yeah, it was also a series that got adapted by Trigger. It was like their second ever anime that they did, and I'd watched it back in the day. And you know, coming after Kill a Kill, it's a big step down. However, the central premise is fun enough, so I'm glad that the novels have come over. I didn't even know the anime was done by Trigger. That's actually really interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I would like to check this out at some point, because I, I definitely do really like the premise for it. But uh, continuing on with the J Novel Club stuff, next up I want to talk about Prison Life is Easy for a Villainous 
from Hibiki Yamazaki with illustrations by Tetsuhiro Nabeshima, in which Prince Elliot is engaged to Rachel, the daughter of a duke, but he has his eyes set on someone else. He decides to break off their engagement by accusing Rachel of a crime she did not commit and throwing her in prison. Little does he know, Rachel has already heard about his plans, and she is thrilled. To her, prison sounds like a fun vacation with no lessons and no annoying servants. She is more than ready to laze about and live the slow life. Surrounded by all the comfort she can want, Rachel thoroughly enjoys everything the dungeon has to offer while tormenting the prince however she pleases. Uh, her free and merry prison life is just beginning. And, I mean, first off, this just sounds like a funny premise, but... um. This did make me think a little bit about um, Tis Time for Torture Princess a little bit, where it's a series about this person of royalty hanging out in the prison, and it's supposed obviously prison is not a very fun place, and I, I just like the idea of, you know, these characters making light of what's supposed to be a very grim, dark setting. I, I just like that idea. Yeah, this one had, like, a very amusing premise to me when I first heard about it uh, in the J Novel Club panel. So, yeah, I this is one that I'm keen to read as well because it seems like a, a fun comedy of like, yeah, making, you know, just me, like going to prison, but like just completely making light of the situation and then just turning it into a big like playroom for yourself. Um, But next, I think the last J Novel Club title I'm going to talk about is My Quiet Blacksmith Life in Another World, uh, written by Tabamaru and illustrated by Kinta, in which Azo is a middle-aged overworked software engineer who loves cats. One night after working late, he saves an injured cat from a speeding truck. The cat survives, but Azo does not. Luckily, the cat turns out to be a godlike being who offers him a second chance in another world. Azo decides that he wants a slower life, uh, one where he can live off the things he creates with his own hands. Uh, so why not become a blacksmith? Uh, he does have one other stipulation, a cat companion for his quiet life. These requests are granted, and Azo is whisked away to a new world and imbued with blacksmithing knowledge. Uh, he soon finds out that his abilities are above average. In fact, his new skills are so overpowered that they're like cheats. On top of that, his cat companion turns out to be a half-tiger girl. Azo's blades soon garner attention, and he realizes he can turn the tides of battle with his forge and hammer. With so much commotion in the store, will Azo be truly to enjoy a quiet life? And, uh... Yeah, I just like the idea of, I mean, maybe there are other series like this, and I, I just haven't, like, heard of them or seen them around, but I like the idea of, like, being reincarnated as, like, a blacksmith. I just I just think that's an interesting idea. Yeah, these series that take the approach of, like, being reincarnated in a fantasy world, but not pursuing, like, a combat role or adventure role, but instead, like, a kind of domestic profession has a more support role for, like, other adventures and like, the world are always, like, fun to me. Like, that's kind of what I like about Witch's Printing Office, where, like, the girl gets, like, easy kite and, like, just starts a printing press and stuff like that. So, yeah, I like uh, premises like this. Uh, but that's about it for the Jane Novel Club stuff I wanted to talk about. And uh, I believe my last couple, uh, or at least my next two, I should say, are from Yen Press with uh, See You Tomorrow at the Food Court from Shinichiro Narie. And I don't think any of these Yen Press titles have like a clear uh, release date as of yet, but I'm sure they'll come up at some point. So uh, this series is about Wada, who is an otter student who keeps to herself and has an air of mystery around her, and Yamamoto, who is an intimidating fashionista with dyed blonde hair and a shortened skirt. Though this unlikely duo seem to have nothing in common, it's only during their daily meetings at the food court that they can be themselves. 
And yeah, this is another one of those series with like a very like unlikely duo dynamic kind of thing that like I could really get into. I think this could lead to like a, a pretty fun, funny relationship to watch these two characters kind of work off each other, but also probably lead to some like actually kind of sweet moments where they kind of like sometimes maybe kind of like open up to each other. You know, it just sounds like it could be good. Yeah, it was described as kind of like a very sweet friendship manga. So definitely one to look forward to. I could use more sweet friendship manga. Uh, next up from Yen Press, we have the Geek X Hitman from Kodai, in which the Oracle of Florence, Marco, is a legendary, peerless hitman feared throughout the Italian underworld. But now he's trying to build a new reputation for himself, and that is the biggest geek in Japan. Uh, after getting introduced to the joys of otaku culture while out on a hit, Marco quickly gets so sucked in that he sets down his bloodstained mantle and moves to Japan to peacefully enjoy his new lifestyle. But he'll soon find that even after turning over a new leaf, there isn't much he can do about how sinister he appears to other people, especially the government agent on his tail, Viviana, whose skills as a spy are surpassed only by her burning passion for Yaoi and BL. Um, so I think kind of like sort of like a way of the house husband. This sounds like another thing where it's like a uh, uh, very scary main character who led a very uh, terrifying past life, you know, kind of becomes more a little more domesticized uh, and gets into like very mundane kind of like uh, hobbies and stuff. I just, I just, I just like that idea for a concept. Yeah, it's a very, it was very directly compared to House Husband in the panel that, yeah, it's a very similar type of series in terms of like the comedy coming from the gap of like the serious appearance of the person and like how like goofy and silly, like the actual thing he's trying to do or his actual hobbies are. I don't, the misunderstandings coming from, of course, like double meanings of like people thinking, oh, he means one thing that's like you know, super scary and like their stereotype of this person, but is actually like this other super harmless nerdy thing. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely going to check that out. Uh, next up is a title I wanted to uh, talk about from Kodansha, another tokusatsu-esque title uh, with Gogo Loser Ranger from Negi Haraba, who I believe is also the author of the quintessential quintuplets. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really like the premise for this one. Attention, Power Rangers fans. Uh, the heroes become the villains and the villains are, well... They're still villains in this action comedy from Negi Haruba. Uh, follow one plucky villain as he plots to take down the oppressive Red uh, Rangers and finally fulfill his dream of taking over the world. And I guess this title will be coming out next fall from Kodansha. And uh, I believe, did not did we report on this one during one of our serialization rounds? I feel like, yeah. Okay. I knew this title sounded familiar. I remember we were, I think we were both pretty interested in this one. Mm-hmm. I appreciate the localized title. You know, it obviously would not, like, go trans... It's obviously not the original Japanese title because, like, it's referencing the Power Rangers logo slogan. But, you know, it's... I, I think it's a good way to market the series. And they their copy is great at, like, pitching it, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I, def- I definitely enjoyed that. And again, I, I I'm I'm very into tokusatsu manga. So the, the the more you bring out, the more I will definitely check out. So there's that. Uh, and then this last title I wanted to mention is actually one that got added on Comic recently, uh, along with a bunch of other titles that they added recently from a bunch of different publishers. With Veneer by Chugaku. Akamatsu and Miyoko Onishi, in which the synopsis reads, uh, somewhere among the violent and chaotic grasslands of the 12th century of 12th century Mag- Mongolia lives a boy named Temujin, 
Uh, one day, while on the brink of death, he has a faithful encounter with a beautiful and mysterious woman that will affect history. This is the story of a boy who will shake the earth. And uh, I mostly was attracted to this by the cover alone. I just thought the character with the uh, sort of wolf pelt on him. I don't know. I, I just like the character design in particular. But this does sound like a really interesting sort of like historical fiction kind of manga, possibly, that uh, I wouldn't mind checking out. Um Except I, I tried to double check this. Um, Kamiki didn't really like. I guess they said these titles were supposed to come out sometime this month, but like, I tried to check and I couldn't find them. So I don't know if they just haven't been added yet, or I don't know. I guess we'll just have to wait and see on that. Yeah, some of the titles he announced are up. Some haven't come up yet. They kind of nebulously gave like they'll be up sometime November or, or December. So perhaps in the next season it'll be up. Hmm. Um, but that's really about it for my list of licenses that I'm looking forward to. Again, uh, I think a lot of these titles are very good. Uh, like I said, I'm especially looking forward to the more tokusatsu-esque titles. I'm just, I'm just really happy that we're like getting more of that kind of stuff in English. So I'm looking forward to like checking those out in particular. But uh, Lum, I think it's time for your list. For sure. And there are definitely a lot of crossover between titles, but there was also a lot of others I was interested in. I'll also start off with a comic title that caught my eye that was announced at their panel, and that was The Ice Guy and His Cool Female Colleague by Yuki Tonogaya. This is about a guy who is a descendant of the Yuki Ona of Japanese folklore, but anytime he's around his eccentric but kind colleague Fuyutsuki-san, he totally freezes up. So there's a snowstorm of love that's raging in his heart, and she's completely clueless to it. So is he going to take a step forward, or is he going to stay frozen in place? I appreciate all the ice puns in the copy there. And I also <laughs> like the character designs of the characters. They look quite cute. I like the silver hair on the Himuro, the Yukiona guy. Yeah, I think this sounds like a very chill uh, romantic comedy that I am in- going to uh, enjoy reading. I think it'll be a cool time. I get it. Next, we got uh, some t- a title from Yenpress I was keen and interested in, and that is Sasaki and Pichan. This is a interesting take and kind of like a odd buddy comedy type series. And this uh, is about a, you know, this comes from uh, Bun Koli. And this is about a guy who, you know, is kind of like a corporate drone. He's like overworked and tired and unfulfilled with the rigmarole of his like daily life. And so he searches for some companionship to fill the emptiness in his life. And he visits a pet shop on a whim. And that changes his life forever because he meets an adorable bird and brings it home. But his new roommate is actually an incredible sage from another world named Pichan. And he promptly bestows Sasaki a bunch of supernatural powers as well as the ability to cross between worlds. And Sasaki just wants to use these new powers to live in peace and comfort, but there are a lot of colorful characters in the way of that. And it's not mentioned in this copy, but basically the premise of the series is Sasaki and Pichan are basically going to travel through different worlds. Because they have this power and they want to like make money. So what they're going to do is that they're going to barter like selling items between different worlds. So like they sell items from like kind of a their world and do these fantasy worlds and they'll sell items from the fantasy world in their world. And so they're going to basically go back and forth as like kind of a bartering kind of trade service. And that's how they're going to like make money enough for like Saki to kind of quit his job and leave like kind of an easy comfy life. And so that's what's really intriguing to me about the premise. And I really 
really love how the premise was described during the panel, where it uh, you know had a really gave a lot more detail, gave a lot of more sense of like the personality and like the banter between the characters. So that really intrigued me on it and makes me keen to check it out. Like it sounds like a fun like kind of different kind of like fantasy like world traveling buddy comedy type series and yeah like all the yen press titles don't quite have release dates yet so but this will come sometimes next year and uh, next we have a title from faku and denpa the kind of collaborated title from them and that's nana and karu the you know very much beloved acclaimed kind of bdsm romance manga basically about a guy who is like in love with someone who is like considered a school idol but you know they are childhood friends but their relationship has been strained over the years because they live different lifestyles but karu has like a bdsm fetish and it turns out nana also has like a bdsm fetish and like one day like his mother kind of finds his like beat some toys and like asks like Nana to get rid of the toys and his son's fetish, but like Nana she also has the fetish and seeing his like gear kind of awakens that in her. And so then they kinda of start exploring like a kinky relationship together and the series has been very beloved like very claimed her years for its portrayal of some relationships and the central couples romance and so it's really great to finally see a brie brought over here officially in english starting in fall 22 in stream one omnibus editions and yeah this is a really cool pick up and get this is a title that i've only dabbled in a little bit but i really enjoyed what i read i thought like it was a really interesting depiction of like kind of the community and the kink and uh, like people exploring that in their relationship and yeah it's cool to see it brought over and so yeah that's coming out fall 2022 three and one editions so yeah something to look forward to for sure speaking of series that explore kind of like uh kinky sex quirks so we're going to go on to some kanji usa titles that have also been announced for fall 2022 and we're starting off with one of shuzo simi's kind of debut works avant-garde yumeiko which is about a high school girl who's like obsessed with penises and decides to join the art club because she wants to see one in real life. So it's kind of more of a ribald Oshimi work. He kind of has two modes of like, he has like the super psychologically kind of fraught and intense stuff. And then he has like the really kind of pervy, edgy slice of life type stuff. And this kind of falls into the latter, but it, Sounds like a lot of fun, so I'm also just generally a fan of Oshimi and looking forward to reading more of their works. Next we have a title, kind of a romance title that seems interesting to me, and that's A Clear Moonlit Dusk by Mika Yamamori, about a very princely girl who is often mistaken for a guy and has earned the nickname Prince, and then meets like a very princely guy who's like kind of the first person who really sees her for herself, and that kind of throws her off a bit. Like, you know, her new friend is like a, a guy prince, and she's like a girl prince, and so now that these two princes together start to navigate a relationship. And yeah, I like how the series from the premise seems like it makes four ideas of like gender presentation and identity as well as just kind of like an interesting relationship between someone who like actually sees someone for like how they want to be seen and who they are as opposed to how other people like judge it for appearance so even if it's not explicitly queer series there's a lot of like queer topics themes that intrigue me and i'm keen to read it for 
For a more explicitly queer series, though, we have Run Away With Me Girl from Bataan, which is a Yuri series that's like kind of like a wistful romance about that muses about how sometimes you need to run away to find the place where you belong. About like a girl who loved her high school sweetheart until they broke up at graduation because of like kind of this antiquated idea of like, oh, you know. Gay until graduation were too old to be fooling around dating each other. But now, ten years later, they may run away to each other and come back to each other's arms. So that sounds like a nice kind of commentary on, like, kind of this trope and idea of, like, you know... That there was often a lot of Fury series that, like, they are kind of queer during the high school period, but then, like, they graduate and then go off into the real world. So it's, like, kind of just this fleeting, ephemeral kind of relationship. But now this is, like, applying that into, a, like, a real-world context of, like, these characters, like, now kind of having thought they were broken off that way, thinking that they need to embrace it girl sexuality now coming back together and realizing no we're queer and we are in love with each other and now we have reconnected and reforged this kind of relationship that meant a lot to us and so that's something that really appeals to me and makes me very keen to read it i'm also very keen to read one of yuki kamatani's earlier series finally getting licensed shonen note boy soprano and this is about a boy who can sing soprano which is something that not a lot of boys can do because it's you know, very high pitch. But, you know, his voice begins to change when he enters puberty, and that causes a journey of self-discovery for himself and for those around him. So another series that, like, will kind of intimately look at, like, themes of puberty and growing up and, like, kind of how that shapes your understanding of yourself and your identity. And Yuki Agamemnon is really great at writing stories like that, so I am so excited and keen to read another work of theirs. Definitely a contender for my list as well. I'm very excited to check that out. And I'll just mention briefly that Kananji also announced a lot of other kind of things at their panel that that, that are coming up, mainly box sets of Sweat and Show, Bodokoi and Go 23 Minutes, Nagatora and Red the Girlfriend, and omnibus editions of number six, Noragami and Fire Force, and fully compiled editions of Ghost in the Shell, and a complete edition of No Longer Human, and hardcovers of Dissolving Classroom and Paperbacks of Kantakari. So I just wanted to throw those out there of like titles that have already been out for a long time are going to get like some uh, repackaged kind of collections that might be of interest to people. But I'll still continue on the subject of queer series and queer team series. There's a big one from Seven Seas that I was very excited about. That's Go For It Again, Nakamura. That's right, the sequel to Go For It, Nakamura has finally been licensed. It's going to come out next July. And yeah, we're going to see what will happen in the relationship between Nakamura and Hirose after the end of that first volume. And let's see how the relationship will develop there in another collection of like big misadventures so yeah i'm very excited to continue to read more nakamura oh my god yeah again another contender for my list i'm very excited for that kind of a matter of time until seven seas picked it up but it's still exciting nonetheless hopefully maybe we can even talk about it i I would not mind that absolutely and now I will close things off with some J Novel Club announcements that I was excited for. And this starts off and includes another villainous title. Forget being the villainous, I want to be an adventurer by Hiro Oda. And this is about a girl who, you know, used to be a Japanese businessman in her previous life, but then was reborn as the villainous in a fantasy book that she had read before. She can't, like, remember her past life that well. But she can recall her life as, like, the original version of her character, Seraphone, and the character's sadness and pain. 
And so she makes a contract with a big, like, fluffy tiger guardian, a holy guardian named Lou, to come up with a plan to change the plot of the book and avoid the villainous of fate. And the way she'll do that is to become an adventurer and avoid everyone who is actually from the book. And the more she diverges from the plot of the story, the more unpredictable, like, the actions of the other characters in the story become. So how will she keep everyone from learning her secrets and spoiling her plans? And I like the angle of this is that the way that she's going to avoid the bad end is to literally avoid the other characters in the book and literally try and avoid being part of the plot. But by doing that, you know, by changing the story, like that's going to change how the other characters act. And so inevitably she will have to come across them. And so, yeah, how is she going to kind of navigate her way through that? And I also like that she's being proactive and like, you know, instead of like uh, kind of playing politics uh, or like trying to mend relationships, she's like going to just go out on a journey adventure to just like literally get away from everyone else. So, yeah, I think this sounds like a fun premise and it intrigued me in terms of like its approach to doing the villainous type story. And the final big announcement that has me so excited, literally had me like kind of jumping in the seats when I heard it announced, was the announcement of the <laughs> Slayer's audiobooks. Ooh. When I heard Lisa Ortiz narrate as Lena in the J novel's like big kind of promotional skit for it, like that, that just made my heart sore. Hearing her as Lena again, like that, that was just so exciting, so thrilling. I'm so excited. They are going to be doing these audiobooks of the Slayers like almost married by Lisa Ortiz herself. They're going to come out next year and I can't wait to listen to them. It'll be like having like new Slayers like anime, just an audiobook for with Lisa's voice. Like they chose Lisa specifically because they know how important so many of the Slayers fans find her performance as Lena. And like, yeah, it's just the perfect choice for the narrator. And it's just makes me so excited i can't wait to listen to those audiobooks i'm not even a slayers fan but like i might actually take a look at these these actually sound really really cool (laughs) Mm, yeah i am so excited it's a long time slayers fan and a huge fan of lisa ortiz so yeah very exciting announcements from a lot of publishers a lot of cool titles to look out for and i'm sure before the year's up there will be even more surprises to talk over the next like news episode but yeah really really cool stuff Mm-hmm. Um, do we want to talk about the uh, kind of outside of our list? Do we kind of want to talk about the big thing that Seven Seas acquired, apparently? Uh, as in? With their uh, print release of Tokyo Revengers, apparently. Oh, yeah, you didn't put that in your license list. I thought you would. But, uh, yeah, uh, they have acquired the physical release of Tokyo Revengers. That is quite a big deal because people have been requesting Kadansha to release it for a long time. And I guess Kadansha USA passed the new the physicals themselves so that allowed Seven Seas to kind of swoop in and uh, do it itself. They'll be, have the print license. Kadansha USA retains the digital license. Two-in-one omnibus relations for the series starting on May 3rd, 2022. And they will still be using the same translation as the Kadansha digital releases. So it's going to still be the translation for those. And there won't be edited, though. There won't be, like, uh, the, the manji won't be edited. They'll just be cultural notes. So, yeah. That's good. Yeah. It's exciting for Tokyo Revengers fans to finally get the series of print after, like, kind of demanding it for a long time. It's some. They now have kind of gotten their wish, and it's very exciting. Mm. Yeah, sorry, I didn't put it in my list because I thought we were going to talk about it regardless. But yeah, I, I just thought that was kind of a a, a big one to kind of talk about uh, just outside of uh, what we're looking forward to in particular, because 
yeah, I I know this is a print release that like a lot of people were wanting, and uh, according to Seven Seas, is already doing really really well on like Barnes and Noble with the uh, I guess with their collector's edition. <laughs> uh, yeah, they have a like exclusive uh, cover in the Barnes and Noble's edition. Yeah, so yeah, the pre-orders are probably doing very well. Like a lot of people. Big fans and very excited for Tokyo Revengers. So, yeah, I think that this will pay off very handsomely for Seven Seas for sure. I'm not going to lie. I am kind of thinking about picking up my own copy of Volume 1. I I, I, I don't know. Am I going to end up collecting all of Tokyo Revengers? I might, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, re- I really enjoyed that series, and I really, really can't wait to talk about it again on the podcast when it eventually ends. But um, <laughs> I'm also really looking forward to seeing how it's going to do possibly on the book scan list when we cover more of those in the future. I, I can't imagine this won't place on there at least once. Yeah, I think it'll be a high seller for sure. I expect to see it. But yes, that that, that was. I, I think that's probably arguably one of the bigger uh, licenses from I think the past month. Again, a lot of a lot of people were looking forward to those. Um, but yeah, I think it's time to get into uh, some of our industry news. Yeah. So the big one is that we had talked about before that Penguin Random House had attempted to acquire Simon Schuster, and that would have been kind of a a move towards a kind of a monopolistic state. Like those are two of the biggest publishers. So already we had kind of gone from like a big six to a big five. And now with this, there'd been like a big four, but like now it seems that the U S department of justice has filed a lawsuit uh, earlier in November and to try and block the purchase uh, because of antitrust concerns, because they recognize that, you know, if the deal went through penguin random house would hold like a lot of unprecedented control and outside influence over what books are published in the U.S. and how much authors are paid. Uh, the publisher's argument is that the deal is going to improve efficiency and make titles more available to retailers and consumers, but, you know, it's a big, big conglomeration of big, you know, companies. And for the manga industry, this would be a big deal because, you know, uh, those two companies together <laughs> have a handle on most of the manga market. Simon Schuster distributes Wiz titles. Penga Random House distributes almost everyone else. Seven Seas, Kodansha USA, Square Enix, Dark Horse. Uh, so them together, that's like most of the major publishers in the manga industry are going to would be distributed by them. I mean, already Penguin Random House has too much control over distribution of the manga market, but and the books in general. But anyway, yeah, so this lawsuit has been filed to kind of pause uh, this deal from going through for now. We'll see if, like, it fully blocks it from going through or this is just a temporary stopgap, but we will see how the story plays out. Yeah, one, one, one monopoly is already too many. Mm-hmm. And then on the subject of like fighting scanlations, though, it's recently Sh- uh, Shoeisha has seemingly succeeded in making a kind of well-known pirate manga site in Japan called Manga Bank kind of go down by like kind of filing legal applications with Google and an internet provider, Hurricane Electric, uh, to prosecute them for copyright infringement. And so, you know, they didn't explicitly name Manga Bank in this uh, legal application, but the URL like lead to them and impl- implicate them and it coincides with them going offline due to supposed server maintenance costs so this is a interesting new and like kind of a positive development in terms of like taking down these like scanlation websites like at least as far as in japan and yeah i'm continuing the good fight against piracy so this was just a, a short brief little update that i found interesting 
Now, worth mentioning is seeing like whether they're able to take down other similar sites um, through these protocols and procedures in the future. And I guess another thing alongside that that is also probably worth noting is that uh, before filing the request, they had also kind of asked Cloudflare, which is like the network infrastructure company, like to disclose information about the site using a digital millennium copyright act subpoena. And through that, they were able to find that the domains were hosted by the service provider Hurricane Electric. So it seems that's kind of like a way they can like identify who is hosting these sites and then appeal to them directly to get them taken out. And uh, in addition to that, though, they have like kind of uh, started to sue Manga Bank, like following kind of a decision at like a California district court to, you know, disclose and, you know, identify and prosecute them for copyright infringement. And like, yeah, like uh, Shueisha's, there are other publishers, not named right now, that have joined uh, Shueisha in following a lawsuit against them. So we'll also see how that will uh, turn out as well. That about does it for kind of our touching on things happening uh, industry-wise. We do have a few interest pieces, though, about, like, various things related to the industry. First, we have to touch upon kind of, like, a, a developing story that is worth watching is that Tetsuya Chiba, the uh, author of Ashina no Joe, uh, has been hospitalized recently after, like, feeling very unwell during the summer. There's been a lot of admiralities in his heart valve, coronary and throat. Uh, he says that he's healing, though, and he's planning to recover. But, yeah, I mean, with his age, you know, he's in his early 80s, 82. Uh, it's definitely worth watching, like, how his health is doing and uh, how he's faring. But hopefully he will, like, recover and uh, be in good health again and be discharged from the hospital uh soon so yeah just something to, to keep an eye on it was a little little concerning little worrying but hopefully we'll uh be handled well next we will have we have like a big accolade given, given to masaki wasa he has received japan's medal with purple ribbon that is awarded to individuals who have contributed to academic and artistic developments movement and accomplishments and yeah, Yuasa, of course, you know, one of the most distinctive anime directors with an incredible style, having made a lot of incredible series, one of my favorites, having the Devilment Crab Baby, Japan Sinks, Lure of the Wall, Mind Game. Mind Game is my personal favorite. Like, there's so many incredible series and films. Definitely, I think he's contributed very well to Japanese popular culture. So I think that absolutely he deserves Sacklade and he joins, like, Quite a few, like, accomplished and acclaimed creators and receiving that honor, including Takahashi in uh, Rumiko Takahashi 2022, Keiko Takamiya in 2014, Katsuro Otomo in 2013, Monohagi 2012, uh, Shigeru Mizuki 1991, Isao Takahashi 1999, Leiji Matsuboto 2001, Like, so many, so many people have, uh, who you can absolutely say have absolutely like transformed japanese pop culture i've received this award i think he was very well due for it as well so you know congrats to him on achieving that now we mentioned earlier like audiobooks that are coming out you know the slayer's audiobooks from 
J-Novel Club. But uh, Vampire Hunter D is also getting like its own English audiobook releases that are going to come out later this month. The first volume of these audiobook releases coming out on December 15th, the second volume on January 26th, and the third volume on February 24th. These will be coming from Graphic Audio, and yeah, they're going to also have MP3 CD versions of the audiobooks that'll come out in 2022. So yeah, if you are interested in listening to audiobook versions of Vampire D, like it's cool that uh, these are kind of being made and are going to be coming out soon. So very excited. Very much looking forward to perhaps picking those up and uh, listening to those. Now we have some anime news, starting with anime movie news. And the first piece of business is talking about My Hero Academia World's Heroes Mission. It had quite a strong debut in the U.S. It opened at number two on its Friday opening day. Had about a 2.8 million gross and about 1,600 theaters. And for the weekend, it earned about $6.4 million on its opening weekend, ranked at number four for the weekend. So it did quite strong for itself opening day-wise. Overall, though, in terms of uh, its final gross, it fell way short of uh, what Heroes Rising did in the U.S., Heroes Rising closed its domestic run upwards of like $13 million. Ultimately, World's Hero Mission, despite like being released in more theaters and having like a longer rollout time initially, it ultimately has kind of capped off its theatrical run about $9.7 million. Not bad, but certainly it did not do as well as Heroes Rising. So overall, in terms of international gloss, it's still the highest-grossing MHJ film, but it was not the most successful uh, MHJ film North America-wise. It did not beat Heroes Rising growth, which is interesting, but, uh, you know, I guess there was a lot of buzz opening weekend-wise, but I guess it just leveled off and people uh, just didn't have much return business and there was not a lot of my year fans that, like, felt they want to go see it in theaters after hearing, like, what it was about and whatnot. So, interesting that it did not manage to surpass the gross of Heroes Rising, but, uh, no, still not terrible to get nearly a 10 million gross overall in its domestic run. Now, as far as the other upcoming anime theatrical films... In the U.S., like, G-Kids has licensed Fortune Favors Lady Nikoko. This was a Studio 4C's latest film that came out earlier this summer. And uh, G-Kids plans to release this film theatrically in North America in 2022. Studio 4C makes a lot of really great films, like Children of the Sea and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm really excited for this new film. And, yeah, I I can't wait to check it. Hopefully it does get shown uh, in my area. Because, yeah, I think that visually, like, their films always uh, are very impressive. Their work is really great. And yeah, now we are going to move on to announcement of a new One Piece film, One Piece Film Red. This was announced on the same day as the Anime NYC, like One Piece panel event screening for episode 1000. It was announced basically just uh, to coincide with episode 1000. And yeah, it's going to be directed by Gortan Gucci, who directed like that first like One Piece like short film like long long time ago defeat the pirate gonzak so it's interesting to see him return to the franchise the premise of this is that well it heavily teases that shanks is going to be involved but the focal character is going to be like a young girl with like kind of a well as the teaser poster says an almighty verse and fiery red locks so what is this girl's connection to shanks uh how, how is he going to be involved what is like the plot really going to be like uh, we will see the screenplay will be wrote Written by uh, One Piece Film Gold's writer, Sutomo Koriwa. 
And Oda himself is going to be executive producer, and it's going to come out on August 6, 2022. So it was about time for us to get a new One Piece film. It seems uh, they've been pacing these out every three years or so. Gold was like 2016, Stampede was 2019. So I was expecting this announcement of a new film coming out. And it was, they had a good time for it to announce it like in the same day, episode 1000 drop. So yeah, I mean, a Shanks-focused film, or at least a film that'll feature him some way, that does have me curious. Uh, I'm going to be interested in seeing how it'll turn out. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited for this. I'm also very excited to to hear more Shuichi Akai because he is a good actor and I like him. So yeah, it, it, I, I think it'll be a good movie. Now on the subject of TV anime news, we got some updates on the Spy Family anime. We got like a new teaser that showed it animated in color, which it looks very good. And we also got confirmation that's coming out in 2022. And we got the confirmation of the director. It's going to be Kazuo Furuhashi who has directed a lot of things like Corona Kenshin, Dororo, the 2019 series, Monster Gundam, Unicorn, Get Backers. And yeah, Furuhashi is uh, an interesting director. His works, his anime adaptations tend to take a lot of liberties and they tend to take the original work in somewhat of a more serious direction. However, he has also experience in comedy, you know, uh, infamously he did like New Yokio, but also he worked on a lot of comedic series. Like he worked on Ranma, he worked on Yurusei Yatsura, he was the director of the Haikara-san, Here Comes Miss Modern Films, those were much lighter fare than his normal work. So I think he can handle comedy well, and the show looks and seems directed quite well just from the, the teaser. So I think that it's in good hands, and I am curious and interested to see how the anime is going to turn out. So yeah. Very excited. Yeah, very exciting. Hey guys, it's Colton. I'm just kind of stepping in to interrupt the show to basically re-record a little section where we talked about various Detective Conan anime. Um, so first things first, we originally talked about Wild Police Story, uh, the anime adaptation of uh, one of a few Detective Conan manga spinoffs. And I'm basically stepping in mostly to uh, let you guys know that that is indeed out, but... Uh, not, not in the way that we thought it was going to be. Um, so when news of there being an anime adaptation of Wild Police Story came out, uh, I think we just assumed that it was going to be like a separate anime series. But it seems like it's going to be airing as a part of the original Detective Conan anime. Because we were also wondering like, oh, like, why hasn't this been picked up by anybody? Well, it's because, you know, with it airing as a part of Detective Conan, it's basically like... A separate arc, I guess, within that original show. Uh, that means it's technically airing on Crunchyroll. Um, so for those of you who wanted to check out Wild Police Story in particular, uh, that has started in the Detective Conan anime as episode 1029. Uh, not only that, but I guess it's going to be airing like irregularly, because at the end of the episode, uh, the next episode preview basically showcases what's going to be like another Detective Conan two-part case, I guess. So we don't really know, like, what the schedule for Wild Police Stories airing is going to be like, I guess. Uh, like, like I said, it's, it's going to be airing irregularly from what it looks like. But uh, yeah, Wild Police Story, uh, not its own anime. It is a part of the Detective Conan anime. Um, so, yep, just wanted to let everybody know because uh, I did not know myself. Again, I just assumed this was going to be its own original anime, but that is not the case. It's basically going to be its own arc of Detective Conan, which, with it airing irregularly, that's going to be interesting to keep up with. Um, but I just thought I'd let everybody know, because, uh, uh, like me, uh, there might be a lot of people who might not be aware and are wondering, like, why it hasn't been picked up yet. 
And speaking of the other, like, spinoff anime being picked up, uh, I think we originally reported that both Zero's Tea Time and the culprit Hanazawa did get picked up for an anime adaptation, and those anime have been picked up by Netflix, and they're assumedly going to be airing next year. Uh, so if you were looking forward to those in particular, uh, you'll be able to watch those legally, which is really cool. I hear good things about Zero's Tea Time, and I, uh, I mean... If you know me, I'm really looking forward to the culprit Hanazawa in particular, since uh, that's supposed to be more of like a slice of light gag comedy kind of thing about the uh, the trademark shadow silhouette person from Detective Conan. Uh, and I've heard very good things about that series, so uh, can't wait to watch those. Um, but yeah, basically, I just wanted to come in and kind of give even more updates about uh, all the Detective Conan anime spinoff anime coming because we originally didn't have a lot of info at the time, but now we do. So just wanted to record a little update. Uh, might be another update later on in the episode, but we'll worry about that when we get to it. Uh, and yeah, back to the show. Yeah, so uh, it was announced a while ago that Tiger and Bunny was finally getting a season two after, uh, I believe, seven years after the first season premiered. Uh, I might have to double check the math on that again, but it's definitely been a while. The first series came out in 2011, but yeah, it's been, they announced that this uh, sequel season was coming out, like, I don't know how long ago. I think it at least has been a year or two that they announced that they're doing a season yeah, two yeah. and we didn't have like any development. But yeah, like the second season is coming out like 11 years after the first one. Oh, man. Well, I'm just glad we're finally getting another season of Tiger and Bunny because uh, I won't say anything too much, but uh, that post credit scene at the end of the first season really made me mad and really made me wish we had we got more. And now we're getting more. And yeah, and the rising didn't really follow that up in a big way nope. either. <laughs> no, but the rising is still good. But yeah, basically, the big thing is that Netflix has acquired the rights to season two of Tiger and Bunny, uh, which I can only assume means that uh, because they they took out all the sponsorship logos in the first season to have it stream on Netflix. So we're probably not going to be seeing any of that in season two, probably, which is kind of unfortunate because th that was a nice little wrinkle for the world. But yeah. Yeah. Unless they negotiate kind of like a worldwide licenses for all those things because I think that's the thing that they weren't thinking about with the first season of Tiger Bunny is like you know in every territory those rights to the likenesses of those like logos for all those companies have to be cleared so Netflix I mean maybe like because some of that is is kind of it's almost integral kind of to the aesthetic and identity of the the series like they might work out something so that worldwide like the wherever the show streams like those rights are cleared and those will be retained you know so we'll see mm -hmm. but basically season two is going to be coming out on april 2022 and again i'm very excited definitely going to be watching this week to week i i love me some tiger and bunny probably gonna have to rewatch that first season because it has been a while since i've seen it but uh yeah, just I, I can't believe we're finally getting getting it, and I can't believe it's going to be on Netflix. So I'm very excited to watch that. Yeah, it's definitely been uh, it, it has probably been like nearly a decade since I watched it. So yeah, it's going to be good to rewatch and, and good to check out the season two, and hopefully it does bring the story to you know it resolves on those loose ends with the Ouroboros or whatever that were in the first season, and. Uh, yeah, like, the first half of it is going to drop all at once in April, so it's going to be interesting to have, like, that staggered release structure as well. But, uh, yeah, it'll be fun to binge when it comes out. 
Another interesting update related to this, though, was that it was also confirmed by a representative from uh, Ammo Entertainment that the live-action adaptation for Tiger and Bunny that was once in development has not been in a state of active development for many years, ever since all Nippon Entertainment Works had the organization and Global Road Entertainment went bankrupt, so... You know, if you, in case anyone is wondering if they're still making a live action Tiger and Bunny movie, uh, it looks like that is on a long term hiatus and freeze. So, you know what? I totally forgot that that was happening, but I remember being actually kind of excited when uh, that news dropped because I know that was supposed to be like a big collaboration between like both Japanese and like American Hollywood companies, too. Yeah. So, yeah, I was, I was excited for that, but I, so I, I hope we have. I hope eventually that gets back on track. I actually would like to see that. Yeah, maybe someone else will back it financially, and then it goes to a different like uh, production company, and then it gets off the ground. I mean, you know, if Netflix is doing the anime, if it's like licensed and is a producer of the anime, perhaps they will produce the live action movies. They probably will. I'm 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 kind of surprised that I'm sure eventually maybe they'll get on those. I I, I could see that happening actually. Mm-hmm. And going on in terms of like other like Netflix adaptation movie news, Netflix has announced that it is going to be streaming a new two-part anime film sequel to Seven Lady Sins called Grudge of Edinburgh. It'll come out in 2022. It's going to be like an all CGI film and the, the CGI doesn't look great, but it's going to focus on Meliodas' son Tristan. So it's going to kind of go on a, a different direction from Four Nights of the Apocalypse, which focuses on Percival. It's like it's focusing on Tristan himself, which we haven't seen in Four Nights of the Apocalypse. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious because this is like a direct sequel then to the end of Seven Deadly Sins and Meliodas' son. So I may just watch it just for that story info, even though like aesthetically it's not the most appealing thing. And in general, like the last couple seasons of Seven Deadly Sins uh, from A1 have not been the best looking, I will say. I'm sure they work really hard on those. I don't want to disparage anyone's yeah, work. Yeah, the production, but, from what I heard, is just very rushed, you know? So they can't yeah. do their best rip, sadly. It's unfortunate to say, but, like, the more I see from, like, those later seasons, the less I kind of want to watch the anime and just kind of get to the manga eventually. Suzuki's art is just so great in terms of, especially his action art and his uh, illustrative style. Like, I think that uh, the manga is just so superior to the anime. Like, even the first season, which isn't, like, as you know, wonky. I would still say, recommend people just read the manga over that. But back on the subject of kind of like a live action adaptation discussion and news, it has been announced that the live action Yuhaka show is slated to come out December 2023. So uh, about two years wait. But yeah, I mean, that's something to look forward to I, for sure to see uh, how it'll turn out. You know, the executive producer for it fondly remembers it. It was a very formative work for him. So I, hopefully it'll be in good hands and it'll do justice to the series. Mm-hmm. I, I think the thing that makes me feel better about this is that I believe this is a Japanese production and yeah. not like a Hollywood production, which if it was, I would be a little less excited about it. But, you know, I'm I'm, I'm willing to give this a shot. I think it could be interesting at the very least so we'll, we'll just we'll just have to see yeah japanese productions generally hit the mark better not all the time i there are some that didn't quite work like the mob psycho live action but most of the time though they have a better track record mob psycho full metal alchemist yeah full metal alchemist is also a misstep but yeah 
There, uh, speaking of though, you know, Hollywood live action produced adaptations of anime. Netflix's live action One Piece recently revealed like the core cast members for the Straw Hats. And they include Inaki Godoy as Monkey Luffy, Makenyu as Zoro, Emily Rudd as Nami, Jacob Romero Gibson as Usopp, and Taz Skyler as Sanji. And Oda was involved in the casting and was like very impressed of how all these people kind of embody the straw hats they are portraying. And, you know, they have really made a splash like on social media. I think they've earned a lot of goodwill and their enthusiasm for the series. I think Goto in particular really gets like Luffy's energetic energy down. And Rudd definitely seems to have a big appreciation of Nami. Same with Gibson for Usopp. Like, I think all the casting seems very on point. And I appreciate that uh, they are embracing like kind of internet national casting like I'm, there was like a discussion or like a tweet about like where netflix responded with like all the the flags representing the different like ethnicities oda had described to the characters and the sbs so they're paying attention to that which i appreciate and yeah i think that uh the casting seems on the mark and i think i guess that's the big thing that tomorrow's news and netflix's uh collaborations with them have been doing well is that they pick great actors to portray characters, but in the light of how bebop or not, what is going to really make or break the show is like, well, the cast is good, but is the the tone of the series on point? Is the writing strong? Or are they going to lean more into like kind of the quippy Marvel style, which wouldn't work for One Piece at all? I no. I really no. hope not. It, did, it absolutely <laughs> did not work for Bebop. It's not going to work for One Piece. So, yeah, we will see like how the adaptation overall turns out. But I am definitely enthusiastic about the cast. Like, I think they all seem very enthusiastic and like very excited to be playing these characters. And yeah, I. Uh, I'm excited to see how they handle them. No, yeah, the the, the cast 100% is great so far. Um, like like you said, it is gonna it is gonna depend on the writing, I think. And I really want to put faith in Shueisha that they really really don't want another Dragon Ball Evolution on their hands. I think mm-hmm. I think it will at least be better than that. Like I think I think it's hard to get any worse than that. But I, at the same time, I could see it end up be, end up being like the Cowboy Bebop that we just got where. You know, some some parts of it I think are good, but other parts just don't work at all, unfortunately. So it at the very least it'll probably be a mixed bag, but I'm I'm still way more excited about this than I was for Bebop, admittedly. Yeah. I mean, because Otis like seems to be very involved and seems to have like a lot of uh you know able to express his opinion about like the casting and stuff like he's he's more hands-on than Toriyama was with evolution I think that gives me a little more hope that it'll be more accurate to the spirit of the series for sure for sure uh, just to kind of continue the Netflix uh, updates real quickly, uh, I do just want to put out there that on December 24th, on Christmas Eve, uh, Netflix is going to be adding, uh, so far what looks like to be Stand By Me Doraemon 2. I did see reports that they were going to be putting up both Stand By Me Doraemon films, both 1 and 2. And so far, and we t- we kind of talked about this off mic, but uh, the-, the reports I've seen that have links to like what's supposed to be like the page for the first Stand By Me Doraemon movie aren't working, so I don't know... I don't know if there's just something wrong with those links or if like, I'm I'm not sure what's going on with that. But as far as we're supposed to believe, both Stand By Me Doraemon films are coming out on December 24th. And if that's the case, I'm definitely going to be watching both of them. 
So Yeah, Stand By Me to Rhyme On is a great film. I saw the original a few years ago on a flight, and it's really, really well done. Very emotional, mm-hmm. very sweet. And I'm really excited to finally see Stand By Me to Rhyme On 2. Like, you know, I have not got the opportunity to see that one. So, yeah, that's going to be really exciting to finally have these, like, legally available, legally streaming in the U.S. and not just available on flights and you being lucky to be able to catch <laughs> them on a flight that you just happen to be yeah, on while yeah. they still license out to the airline. Basically, if you liked Lupin the Third, the first, and you really like the the CG animation in that, these might be up your alley. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, no, it's as excellent, if not more so, a translation of the traditional aesthetic of Doraemon to CG, and really fantastic animation, really great sequences. For sure, for sure, definitely can't wait to watch these, but uh. I'm very sad to see something that I was looking forward to watching to after finishing my read-through on the Patreon, Leave Netflix. Yeah, Saint Seiya, unfortunately, the entire original 1986 series is going to be leaving on December 14th, which is surprising. They only really had it for two-ish years, and, you know, they produced a dub of it, but I guess uh, they're letting the license lapse. I guess it just wasn't getting watched enough for them to want to retain it. But, you know, if Toei retains, you know, the rights to that dub and then, of course, the series itself, perhaps they can shop and run elsewhere if we discussed earlier before the show perhaps they could go to Tubi Toei's putting a lot of stuff on there so hopefully we will see this stuff uh, we will see this the show pop up on a streaming service again see that dub available again and we'll just become like lost media or something and uh, please I hope so yeah I mean I will try my best to watch at least the uh, Asgard and Poseidon arcs before they leave because at least the Sanctuary arcs were released on DVD like long time ago so you can still hunt those down but yeah man again i'm really really upset about this because literally after we have finished our saint say read through on our patreon patreon.com slash manga mavericks uh you know i was really excited to start getting into more saint say anime and i was really looking forward to watching this original series and i i literally just started i think i watched like the first two episodes like a little bit ago and now, now I hear this news and it's like, well, I guess I better watch as much as I can before it's gone. <laughs> it is a shame. Hopefully, with, with the rights going back to Toei, probably, uh, I think we were talking off mic, it would be really funny if, like, this just ended up on Tubi along with the other, like, Toei stuff that they have up on there. Yeah. Uh, I think Toei still wants to put Seiya, so I'm sure we will see the original series resurface in some form. Hopefully, yeah. And the last piece of news, kind of returning to the subject of Hollywood adaptations of anime and manga, is that it has been announced that Julius Avery, who directed the Overlord film, which I really like, he's a good action director, he's going to be directing Sony Pictures' adaptation of Gantz. And it's going to be produced by Temple Hill. And uh, there's no release date, there's no start date yet, but yeah, like I said, I... I like Avery's films from those I've seen. Like, he is a good action hero. Overland was a really good time. So I think that uh, in terms of, like, as an action film, this is in good hands. So, uh, yeah, I think this is a promising choice to hire for a director. Gantz is really something I need to get to eventually. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not a fan of Gantz. Uh, keep in mind, <laughs> Gantz is kind of like a kind of a grim, darky series, very nihilistic in a way, pretty exploitative ah, okay. in terms of its violence and character design. I mean, that's my impression, and from everything I've read, I'm not a big fan of Gantz. But you know, it has his fans, and Oku has his fans. Oku has done good great works, and Yashiki's great. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm interested in seeing how the Gantz film would turn out because it could be a uh, very different in tone from the the manga in a way that's more appealing to me but yeah we'll see how it turns out i think it'll be interesting either way it's definitely a premise that leans itself well for an action blockbuster that could attract a lot of people hey guys it's me again uh i'm just here to interrupt the show one more time because uh after we recorded this episode uh it kind of hit me that uh we forgot to add in a little piece of news here that uh is at least kind of important for me anyway in that uh we do have confirmation that uh, Shout Factory is going to be coming out with their own release of Gintama, the very final. Uh, that'll be coming out on Blu-ray and DVD in a combo pack, I should say, uh, with an exclusive 16-page booklet with uh, character art and storyboards. Uh, and that release will be coming out on February 8th, 2022. It's supposed to be coming out digitally uh, before that, actually, on January 25th, which is pretty cool. And I mean, yeah, this, that's basically what I wanted to let people know because uh, I, I kind of figured that was important to let everybody know because, uh, you know, uh, we didn't really have any confirmation b basically until they just straight up told us during uh, the actual screening of Gintama the very final in theaters, uh, which, by the way, really great time, uh, really good movie, and I think uh, possibly the best ending to Gintama we can have, uh, if you're curious in my thoughts about the movie and if you are, um, short little plug here, uh, Doctor and I over at Just a Gintama Podcast actually did our own, like, spoiler-free review of the movie. Uh, so if you're interested in, like, even more thoughts about the movie that we have, you know, that don't go into, like, spoiling the entire movie, uh, I'll link that in the show notes. Uh, but you can listen to that. Again, that's at Just a Gintama Podcast. Uh, I believe that's episode 160-something. I forget off the top of my head. Again, we'll have links in the show notes for anybody who wants to listen. Uh, we're also coming out with a spoilerific review, if you want to call it that, soon. Uh, we just recorded that recently, and hopefully that'll be out at some point before the end of this month. Uh, obviously, when that comes out, I'll let you guys know in case you want to listen to it. Um, but yeah, important thing, that Gintama the Very Final is coming out on Blu-ray and DVD, and uh, you bet your ass that I definitely already made my pre-order, and I'm very excited to own it. Man, Gintama's good. I don't know what you want me to say. Um, but yeah, th that was just a that was just another like really short piece of news I wanted to put out there before the end of the episode. Uh, and now, once again, back to the show. Well, that about does it for our news, though, that we had to discuss on this episode. So we'll wrap up with some uni shoutouts. First, I want to mention, with the release of, you know, new Pokemon games, uh, it was cool to see Tom Hiroka kind of do a retrospective on the very first ones, Pokemon Red and Blue, as part of her series of kind of going back and doing retrospectives on the various, like, mainline games in the series. And, you know, Red and Blue, you know, often are criticized or thought of as, like, being old-fashioned, out of date, very buggy or whatever, because, you know, very old aesthetics that, you know, people 
those of us who are kind of more adjusted to like later generational Pokemon, which have like kind of more improved graphics and kind of like a more refined, like kind of a game play styles and amenities in terms of how the system works, you know, prefer that over kind of like the more difficult uh, version of Red and Blue. But I think she makes a great case of like how it still stacks up really well as an RPG that is very thoughtfully balanced and very thoughtfully creative in terms of like, and what it was intended to do is that it was a game that was intended to teach kids problem-solving skills. And the way the game is written and structured definitely achieves that end. And the balancing system, while not as, like, nuanced and, like, multifaceted as it becomes later on, is still very complex and allows itself a lot of cool combinations that you can play with. The gameplay is still meant to, like, encourage, like, kids to experiment and test out and prepare for different challenges. So I think she did a great retrospective on, like, what made those games stand out, why they were as successful as they were, and why they still, you know, are worth going back to. Like, even though we have, like, remakes upon remakes that are, like, have better graphics and, like, kind of smoothing out some of the more annoying aspects of the original's gameplay, why it's still, like, you know, a really solidly made RPG. Next video I want to recommend is Mother Basement finally doing a What's in an OP on the Cowboy Bebop opening and really getting to the heart of like how every piece of it works together into kind of describing the narrative and like describing the ethos of Bebop as trying to be this work that is something new unto itself. And yeah, I think that he does a great job picking apart various details, how like different aspects of the opening work together to characterize Spike and all the Bebop crew, as well as establish, like, the world aesthetic. And, like, the basically how the opening in itself is, like, a mini encapsulation of the Bebop formula of every story, which is, like, kind of the same basic structure, but just different iterations, different flavors of it. And the opening is a good reflection of, like, the plot beats of, like, getting a lead on a case, going off to pursue it, Faye and Jet tagging along, and how the opening really, by the way, every piece of it is very thoughtfully structured, communicates the essence of, like, Bebop as a storytelling Bebop as, like, a stylistically... And I really appreciate that. And, and in the conversation of like assessing how everything, how every part of the Bebop opening really works so well and flows together, it also goes into this discussion of like why the Netflix version of the Bebop opening sort of misses the point of what tied things together cohesively and how like every element of it like kind of compositionally complements each other in a way that the, the Netflix opening sort of missed out on. So I appreciated that sort of compare contrast as well. And he's done a recent video, like, kind of dissecting the Netflix adaptation more in depth, but I haven't gone through it quite yet, so I'll probably save that for future shoutouts. I actually did watch that video recently. Uh, I thought it was a very good video. I thought it really actually did a really good job, honestly, reviewing the Netflix Bebop and, like, what it gets right and what it gets wrong. It was actually, I thought it was a pretty, like, fair review of it which I thought was good. From his Twitter thread, it's, he was doing a good job of giving some fair, like, criticisms and praises of uh, different aspects the show is doing well and different aspects it was kind of failing at. Now, speaking of, a, like, a different series that has, like, a 
you know, looks to the future in kind of like a cyberpunky aesthetic way. Relard uh, recently did a review of Blade Runner Black Lotus. It was kind of cool. Like, we kind of got like some kind of screeners uh, a little ahead of when the show kind of premiered. So we were able to watch that together, those first three episodes. And it's, uh, I'm really enjoying the show so far. And I think Relard did a great job in his like review of what it does well in terms of encapsulating the spirit of Blade Runner as a franchise and how really well it is able to depict its world in its CG aesthetic style as well as what is really interesting about the story so far and L as a character and like the different pieces it's playing with and you know commenting on how so uh, digital arts you know animation in this looks and is flowing so far so I think it's a really good review of the show and I'm really enjoying the show and looking forward to continuing to keep up with it another kind of article I want to recommend is one from our good friend Anthony Gamulia on Love Hina. Like, this is a piece that he mentioned in our Gopher Nakamura podcast with him that he was working on this piece for any of them. And it's finally come out, finally been published. It's a piece on Love Hina and how it sort of normalizes male abuse and how it overplays a tsundere girl, beats up on hapless guy who is an accident or pervert trope. Like, Basically, he goes into how, like, this kind of trope of, like, you know, sundere violence lashing out of, like, guys with, like, physical retribution. You know, it's something that got popularized in series that has a context of, oh, well, this guy sort of kind of deserves kind of the, the just deserves he's getting for being, like, a jerk or for being pervy. But it, it's done in context, like in the room of Kodaka, she was meant to do Yatsurama. And in context where... All the characters in the world, like, they can bounce back from physical violence because it's like a slapstick kind of comedy world. People can take what they dish out. Like, the girls are also not immune to their own share of being on the end of slapstick violence. So it works in that context, in that setting. However, in Love Hina, it is just very one-sided, where all the physical abuse that the main protagonist of Love Hina receives Kitaro. The power dynamic is such that he is like always on the receiving end. He's never on the giving end. And he's always not really to blame for the violence he receives. Like he's always like, you know, he's kind of a genuine nice guy, like type, but he who just gets into kind of compromised situations that make other characters mad at him, especially like the main girl. And that is what leads him to be on the receiving end of, like, you know, the slapstick physical violence. But, you know, that kind of reads as just abusive because there is really no give and take here. Like, there's no just punishment for any actual misdeeds done. And there's, like, and, and the world of Hina is such in that these moments of overtop violence are not really balanced out by anything else in the series. Like, it's over-the-top comical, but the series overall is, like, much more grounded. It's not as Looney Tunesy as Takahashi series. And, like, these abusive kind of actions are kind of portrayed as, like, a positive thing. It's, like, a justifiable thing. In a way that is very uncomfortable and does read as abusive. So I thought it was a good look at like how this kind of wrong control like soon deray like uh, retaliatory violence can often be like poorly executed in a way that kind of reads off as less as like kind of funny slapstick but more as like actual domestic abuse and comparing it to like other like genuinely like bullying in series like Nagatoro where like at least in those kind of series that kind of realistic bullying 
then gives way to like a more like mature exploration of like different characters and their relationships and them growing as people. But that doesn't quite happen as in Love Hina. Like that kind of behavior never really subsides or gets like addressed in a meaningful way. So I thought that was a very well-written article to kind of dissect how this joke can be used very wrongly. And finally, I want to, you know, give a shout out to something much more serious. And that's recently Lost Thief. Uh, you may know them as Nicholas. So I also know them as Nicholas Dupree. They are a writer for ANN. They do the This Week in Anime column and they write reviews and stuff. And um, unfortunately, uh, they had a tragic fire in their home recently. And... A lot of their house burned down. They lost a lot of their possessions. His mother lost a lot of important documents, important for her business. And yeah, they they really lost their home and they had to, you know, kind of live in a hotel. And, you know, it's just a big tragedy as they kind of like sorting through the debris and trying to, you know, get their life back on track. And uh, there was a GoFundMe set up for them that has reached their, their goal of, ten thousand dollars however you know i'm sure you know they there was so much lost in that fire that you know any more support that can be given to them uh would be greatly appreciated so i just wanted to link the gofundme uh if you ever enjoyed like lost steve nick's writings on ann with this you can yours reviews like you should, i think uh it'd be really nice uh to help support them and um you know as they go through like a big you know time of of crisis and difficult times so i just wanted to shout that out as well their gofundme when yeah that they'll be linked and yeah uh i just hope uh they're doing well and you know they they're able to recover what they can and uh rebuild and, and find a new home but that about does it for the things i want to, to shout out during this episode and i think we can head off into the roundup or the wrap-up all right. Yeah. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. And uh, yeah, uh, not sure if we really want to talk too much about like what's coming up for the podcast since uh, we're still kind of working on some stuff and some stuff might be kind of up in the air where we're constantly, uh, you know, futzing around and changing our schedule and whatnot in terms of what's coming out for the podcast. But pl- pl- please look forward to the next couple episodes. I think you'll enjoy them. And yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm very excited for what's to come. You know, both on the main feed and our Patreon, which uh, we'll talk about soon. Um, but yeah, I guess uh, until the next episode, uh, yeah, we might as well start plugging where you guys can find us. Lum, why don't we start with you? You can find me at Lum Ramayasha on Twitter. It's Lum Ramayasha at a variety of places like Animation Revelation and Analyst. Wherever there's a Lum Ramayasha that you can find me, you can also read my reviews on MoonRare.com. We got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews going out, so you can look forward to more on there. And that's where you can also find the other podcasts I do, like Lump Squad, the podcast dedicated to discussing the wonderful Obaki world of Runkakashi's Yerzi Yatsura. We've been putting out a lot of episodes recently, catching up on the manga releases, and we are going into the movies as well, starting with the first of Only You. And we're really excited to get to those now that they are on Crunchyroll and streaming, and they're also coming out on Blu-ray from Discotech, so it's a really exciting time as Yerzy Yatsa fans, so look forward to our discussions of the, the manga and the movies going forward. Oh, and you can also find Lum Squad like, on Twitter at Lum underscore Squad, and any podcast platform you need about Apple's podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, and stuff. And if you like the art I draw for our podcast, the animations, illustrations I make in general, you can find that on my Instagram, at SidArtWorks. Alright, but as for me, I'm Colton, you can find me on Twitter, at SniperKing323, 
I also host and produce a lot of other podcasts besides this one that you can find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com, where I have a page dedicated to whatever podcast I'm doing at the moment, uh, including past projects I don't work on anymore or uh, guest spots and other shows I've done over the past few years and whatnot. Um, so if you're if you're interested in any of my other podcast projects, uh, please go check them out over there at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. As for Manga Mavericks, uh, you can find every episode of the Manga Mavericks podcast at mangamavericks.com. That's where we post every episode first, unless you're a patron of ours at patreon.com slash manga mavericks, where at the $2 tier, you'll have the chance to listen to select episodes of the podcast early, depending on when we have them edited. If we happen to have an episode of the podcast edited before it's ready to go out on our main feed, uh, that's basically where we'll put it first. Admittedly, that really depends on our schedule and... uh, you know, uh, what we have done at any given time. So if you want more reliable content, you want to go to our $5 tier where we post a new bonus podcast at the end of every month guaranteed. Uh, As we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, we recently just finished our Manga Mavericks book club read through of Saint Seiya, the original Saint Seiya manga from Masami Kuramata, where me and my good friend doctor from the Ask Backwards Anime Podcasting Network uh, went through all 28 volumes of Saint Seiya blind. We had no idea what we were getting into uh, when we first started reading it, and now we've read all 28 volumes, and you could basically listen to what is essentially our first full podcast miniseries. So if you're into Saint Seiya and you want to hear us talk about Saint Seiya for about 14 plus hours, uh, that's all available on our Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks along with a bunch of other bonus podcasts we've done over the past couple of years on our patreon uh and we also have a lot of really cool bonus podcasts coming up on our patreon that uh we'll let you guys know when they're uh when they're up on there but again you definitely want to sign up again for our patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks uh so you'll know when those new bonus podcasts are up and in general you know it really helps us keep the show on you know uh, like we mentioned before you know, we've taken on a lot of new hosting costs and everything. So the more people that sign up for a Patreon, the more likely we can kind of help or help ourselves stay up online and everything. Whatever you're able to give really helps. And we really appreciate your patronage. Again, patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, but as for everything else, you can follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, for excerpts of the podcast and uh, even some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, that's at youtube.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, email us anything at manga mavericks at gmail.com. Uh, do you have any thoughts on the news we covered on this episode? Uh, and what manga are you reading that uh, maybe you want us to talk about on the show? Email us anything about manga or the podcast, really anything, and we'll read it on the show. We love getting emails and we love it when you guys email us. Uh, and yeah, again, that's at manga mavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on a lot of different platforms at this point, but especially on Apple Podcasts, if you leave us a rating and review, it really helps the visibility of our show and just in general helps us get out there to more listeners. And uh, yeah, in general, we also love getting feedback from you guys. So uh, whether it's positive or negative, you know, whatever feedback you leave us, well, we want to use that to the best of our ability to make the show that much better. Um, but that is going to be about it for this episode of the Manga Mavericks podcast. This has been episode 184, and we'll see you guys next time for episode 185. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.